Some viewers may find the following video disturbing. Viewer discretion is advised. Unlike any other shiur we've done over the last few years, with the exception of one, which is the one we did in uh, a couple of times, we did a shiur on wasting seed in uh, Florida once, and then another one in New York, the famous shiur in New York. Uh, this is a shiur that needs a disclosure even more than them. Uh, so, it's not a shiur that's been done before in English. Uh, obviously, there is a shiur by Rab Mizrahi, Shichye uh, about about Um but that's uh, private shiur, meaning you could only get it directly from him. Uh, there's nothing posted on it online. Uh, there are some shiurim on uh, on Genom, uh in on the internet in Hebrew, uh, but nothing really in English. And uh, you guys have been asking me, and many other people have been asking me to do a shiur about Genom for at least a couple of years. Uh, and um, it's really been me that hasn't wanted to do it. And it's not necessarily because uh, we want to hide the truth. Chas v'shalom, as you see from every week, every week shiurs, there's more and more truth every week, there's more and more tshuva every week. But there's also a uh, certain level of what you think people can handle. And uh, because we go with dat Torah, on every single move that we make, or at least I try to the best I can, every single thing that I do, I ask my Rav. I don't. Uh, I try to use as little of my opinion as I possibly can. And the reason why is because I'm very opinionated. I have a lot of opinions. Which means that I have to use it less and stick to the Torah. And the Torah is not just the five books of Moses. It's not just the Gemara. It's not just the Mishnah. It's not just the Zohar. It's also your Rav. And once in a while, there's a certain thing that you can do. You have to ask your Rav. But there's a time and a place for everything. So, for the last couple of weeks, we've been delaying this shiur. Because we got to a Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. We are now up to number 84. But we've been up to number 84 for almost a month. And the reason why is because we didn't start 84. And the reason why is because there's no way to escape the subject of Geinom. This is what the shiur is about. This is what the Mishnah is about. Meaning that if you want to lie, if you want to lie, then you can have a shiur about this Mishnah and make up whatever you want to make up. You could talk about Ganeden, you could talk about, I don't know, angels, you could talk about nice things. But if you really look at the Mishnah, you look at the Mefarshim, you look at what the commentaries actually say, the reality is, is that the subject of punishment the subject of reward, the subject of Gan Eden, and the subject of Genom are very much a critical part of the Torah, just as much as Shabbat, just as much as kosher, just as much as modesty, just as much as conversion, just as much as how we are against idolatry, and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, in the Western world, and I would say probably 99% of the world, not just America, most people don't believe in Gainom. 
most people never heard anything about it. Maybe they heard a few little stories here and there, and they say, no, nah, it's not really real. They asked their rabbi, what about Gehenom? Oh, no, it's a washing machine. It's a washing machine. There's an article in Chabad.com uh, or .org, whatever the website is, where he wrote about Gehenom. Someone asked uh, them, uh, is there a Gehenom in Judaism? Is there a Gehenom in Torah? And they wrote an article about five or six years ago that pictured Gehenom to be such a nice place. I wrote him, I want to go there. Uh, it was such a nice place, such a nice washing machine. Such a, I mean, it, honestly, it sounded better than Ganeden. They didn't like my comments, so they didn't publish it. But nonetheless, I wrote him a bunch of sources of how he's wrong. And none of what he says is in the Torah. Nothing. It's all made up. But unfortunately, the, the Western world has been lying to you and me and everyone else and telling you that Gehenom is a washing machine. It's been telling you guys that the most important, the most important thing you need to know about Gehenom and punishment in general and Shemaim is the busha, embarrassment. Embarrassment. Well, I'm going to go through the books, not just the Mishnah's commentaries. We're also going to use Tana Yau. We're also going to use Gemara. We're also going to use the Tanakh. We're also going to use the five books of Moses. We're also going to use some of the Sifre Tzadikim, like Sharei Gilgulim and, uh, and, and, and many others. We're going to use no less than 50 different sources. So at the end of this year, my goal is not necessarily just to give you guys nightmares. I don't necessarily want to give you nightmares. To be honest with you, to give this lecture is a nightmare. I've been trying not to do it. If it was up to me, I wouldn't do it. But in a generation where most people think that Yirat Shamayim is a curse word or is politically incorrect, it's time someone did it. In Makom Ish, a place there's no leader, at least try to be one. So, like I told you guys on Sunday Shior, last week Shior, that even if I was an Aton, even if I was a donkey, and I came over here and I told you, Hashem Barach said, keep Shabbat. And is the Pasuk, Parashat Kitisa, is Pasuk, da 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 da. Does it make a difference who I am? If I'm providing you sources for what I'm saying, it's irrelevant of whether I'm a donkey or a me. So the goal of today's shiur is to show you that in no place, no place, does it say that you should be worried about Gainom because of the busha. In no place does it say that you should be worried of Gainom because it's a washing machine. Not only does it say nothing, this is a figment of our politically correct mind. This is what we would like for it to be. We would like for it to be a 12-month sentence, like people think Gainom is only 12 months. This is as far from the truth as possible. We'd like for it to be that we could go against the Shem, eat whatever moves, whatever doesn't move, dress like prostitutes, steal like thieves, violate Hashem's name on a day-to-day basis, but we only have for 70, 80, 120 years, but we only have 12 months to suffer for it. And it's not really that big of a suffering. It's like people are making fun of you. So you're embarrassed for a year. Miskin. I haven't found that in the books. Now I'm going to go over the sources. I'm going to go over what it says verbatim. Not my language. It's not my opinion. If you don't like it, complain to God. 
I'm going to try to use as little of my opinion as possible. I'll try to give you as many page numbers and book names and so on as possible. I'll try to make it as fluid as possible. And Be'ezrat Hashem will succeed to develop a little bit of Yirat Shemaim. There's going to be some graphic details. I'm not going to go over into every single detail that happens over there because there's not enough time in the day to do it. If I explain to you what happens in one of the Madurin, just one, the seven, if I explain to you what happens just one of them, time will end and we will not be finished. In fact, I don't know if there's enough time in today's shiur to do it. Even if we plan to have a three-hour shiur like regular, I don't know if it's enough time to cover all the information that I have. This may actually have to be a series, unfortunately for me. It's a kaparat avonot, but nonetheless, it's a merit. And Be'ezrat Hashem, Kadosh Baruch Hu will see that I don't intend to get any kavod out of this. I don't intend to get any merit out of this. I just want you guys to understand that whatever anyone's told you about Geinom is an outright lie. And hopefully, people understand that it's very much real. And at the end of the day, what Rabbi Yisrael Misalan said in O in, um, Israel. He said, if people understood, if they simply understood the fire of Gehenom, not in the worst level, the seventh level that doesn't end, where the Gemara Masechet uh, Rosh Hashanah, page 17a, says that the Mashiach will come, the resurrection of the dead will happen, the world will end, but that Gehenom will not end. That Gehenom will not, that section of Gehenom will never end. He's, we're not talking about the seventh level. He says the lowest level, the first one. If people just understood the magnitude of the fire in the first level, they would say, you know what, Hashem? Don't give us any reward. Just don't take us there. Don't give us any reward for any mitzvot. Just don't let me go into this Gehenom. It's enough that I don't go to Gehenom for a moment as a reward for 120 years of doing mitzvot and kaparat avonot and suffering your whole life. It's enough. Just to not go there. No Ganeidim. No reward. Nothing. If you understood what it means. Now some people hear some things about Gehenom from time to time that I say small little titbits. They say, oh yeah, do more, do more. Now if at the end of this year you're still that excited, that just means you're numb. It just means that unfortunately you're numb and there's a lot more work we need to do. To do tshuva. Because if you understand some of these things, it's not normal that you cry in the middle of learning. It's not normal. You don't usually cry learning about Rabbi Akiva. You don't cry learning Alachot. It's not a normal thing. But nonetheless, it's needed. One of the Ma'amarim, it says Rabbi Akiva one time, he was able to see things that most people cannot. And he saw a person running back and forth, collecting wood. Now this person looked disheveled. He looked distraught. He was full of smoke. He was full of injuries. And he was carrying wood back and forth. And running fast as if, mamash, someone's chasing him, but he doesn't see anyone chasing him. He tried telling him to stop. He didn't stop. He tried to tell him to stop again. And he didn't stop. And then he says, I command you to stop. With the schut of the Torah, I command you to stop. 
And the man stopped. He says, who are you? He says, I'm not from this world. I'm not from here. He says, I know. Who are you? And what are you doing here? And why do you keep carrying wood? He says, this is my punishment. I am in Kafakela. Kafakela happens before Gehenom. I made sins in my life and my unfortunate punishment is that I have to collect wood so they could burn me with this wood in the morning and then they can burn me again at night. They burn me into ashes and I feel more pain times 60 of what you think is pain. And then I go into ashes and I go to nothing. And then they bring me back. And then I go chase wood again to go burn myself again. This is from Rabbi Akiva. It's not from your own Uven. So if that was a little hard for you, it's okay if you leave. You should watch the shiur later on at least. Maybe you can only handle 10 minutes at a time. Maybe you can handle only a half hour at a time. I don't know. All I know is that it's not an easy shiur. Not to give it, not to study it, but nonetheless we all need to know it. Because the Gemara in Maseret Brachot says, when someone has the Yetzirah come to him to make a sin, he says, Say Kriyat Shema. Say Kriyat Shema. Why say Kriyat Shema? Say Kriyat Shema, so you remember there's a God. If that doesn't work, you still want to go out with the Goya. You still want to go out with the Goy. You still want to eat non-kosher. You still want to be not modest. You still want to do this. You still want to go against the Shem for whatever reason or another. It says, learn Torah. Why learn Torah? It will remind you you're not allowed to do it. If that doesn't work, the Gemara says, okay, I did Kriyachma, Babkis. I learned Torah, nothing. I want to sin even more now. What I do now? It says, remind them of the day he's going to die. Remind them of the day he's going to die. Why is that? That's it. It doesn't say anything after that. It doesn't say, talk to him about anything else. Why? Once you actually know what happens when you die, you don't need anything else. So that's what we're going to start off with. So Rabotai, prepare yourself. Again, I won't be offended if you can't handle it. Either way, Bezat Hashem will succeed in getting a little bit of Yerat Shemaim into the Western world. So now, first and foremost, we should know a story of why these Shurim have been much a very critical part of Am Yisrael for generation after generation until unfortunately our disastrous generation. If you look at the Ma'amarim of the Admor Mikosk, some of these Hasidim, I mean, honestly, you feel like it's like so far away, might as well be Moshe Rabbeinu. Might as well be Moshe Rabbeinu. And they asked them, Kvod Arav, how come the Goyim, with their idolatry, how come they succeed so much? Just last week, Shem Rachem, last week, they did mass conversions in Israel. Mass conversions to Christianity, to idolatry. Mass conversions in Israel. In Eretz HaKodesh. Mass conversions. So already they're asking, the Admomi Kos, they were succeeding even back then. Sikvoda, how come they're succeeding on us? We barely can start uh, Chavuta. We barely have a shoe of 25 people. Why? He says, the Kufrim, the heretics, of Dimet HaShekir Be'emet, 
ואנחנו עובדים את האמת בשקר. The Kufrim, the heretics, they work their lies, their shaker, 100%. They admit, we have the truth, we go half-ass. We don't do it, they admit. If you really believed in everything that Torah says, you wouldn't be the happiest person on earth. You go outside every single day, outside, you, you wouldn't wait, you wouldn't say, Modeani in your bed. You'd say, Modeani in Shamaim, Modeani, that I'm a Jew. You'd actually say, every time you see a Jew, you see Donald Trump, you see Bill Gates, you see Warren Buffett, you see all these goyim, Baruch Shalom Asani Goy. Looking at them, Dafka. Not looking at some homeless Goy, oh, thank God I'm not a Goy. No, 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 looking at uh, the, the, the Gvirim, the Ashirim, and say, Baruch Shalom Asani Goy, if you actually believe what it says in the Torah. Unfortunately, we don't. Unfortunately, we see videos that talk about Donald Trump, we all get excited. Oh, wow, look, Donald Trump saved Rabashkin. Yay, that's from Hashem. Yay, it's good. He's a good leader. Mashiach is coming. Same gimatria. Let's invest more money in Bitcoin, in the stock market. So we get excited. We get excited about Donald Trump. We get excited about nonsense. Instead of being excited that we're Jews, you have the truth in your pocket. So Rabotai... When we're scared to tell the truth, it gives the kufrim, it gives the heretics, it gives the idol worshippers from Christianity, the heretics and other fools from Islam, or other idol worshippers from Buddhism, all other religions, it gives them even more strength. Why? Go ask them. Go into their churches. Go into their Mosques, go to their Buddhist churches, say, see if they're all struggling for money. I don't think it's ever existed in history that a church struggled for money. Why? Because the fools that follow it, lie or no lie, they work it, they emit. We, barely. But we have the emit. So one of the reasons why is because we're trying too hard to please everyone. So it's time to forget about pleasing everyone. It's time to please Hashem. And if this was not in the Torah, we wouldn't talk about it. So the first thing a person needs to know is realize that he's not going to be here forever. Some are going to live 120 years like Moshe Rabbeinu. Some are going to live 23 years like my cousin that died last year on Rosh Hashanah. Same price. Everyone thinks they're going to live 120 years. The reality is the longer you live, the more you realize it's not going to happen. You start meeting people and then they disappear. So let's find out first what happens. So there's a book called Gesherach Lechaim by Rabbi Echiel Muchinsky. It says a few things. It says sometimes the Torah tells you different things. Lachot, Sipurim, and so on. And you need a Torah to give you a little bit of Yirat Shamayim. But sometimes the Torah doesn't give you Yirat Shamayim. Why? You didn't get to that section. You skipped it. You didn't understand it. So Rav Ephraim says, my Rav says, sometimes you need to talk about what's going to happen when you die. 
So the Geshe Lechaim talks about the halachot of what happens when someone dies. Literally. So the halachah of cleaning the body, cleaning the dead. Now cleaning a dead person is not exactly the most comforting thing in the world, but you should all know you're all going to go through it at some point. Myself included. It's all going to happen. So when a person is extra proud of their looks and their money and their intellect and all the things that they have physically, you should know that at some point you're going to be like a little turkey where they're going to take stuff out of you like a turkey from your behind. Okay? And you're going to be like a little corpse. So next time you're overconfident, next time you're arrogant, next time you want to show off, just remember you're going to be that. The only difference is turkey is kosher. A dead body is mukte. Not even allowed to touch it on Shabbat. It's a very uncomfortable thing when you actually realize that at some point someone's going to have to clean poop out of your body. But that should help you with your arrogance. It helps me. To realize, in reality, what are you so proud of? Something's going to be mukse one day? Now, after someone goes into the grave... The grave, according to Allah, should be one and a quarter meters deep. One and a quarter meters deep. You have to put the legs first and then the head. If anyone ever experienced or saw a funeral, it's a disaster, it's a traumatizing experience. Regardless of what religion it is, but even more so in Judaism. In other religions, sometimes they burn it, so some crazy people put that stuff in their house, the ashes in their house. Other people put it in tombs. The tombs are, they look like, you know, very expensive apparently. And it looks, I don't know, I guess to them it looks good. But in Judaism, we don't have those things. In Judaism, when they put somebody in a tomb, it literally looks like a sack of potatoes. It's being put into a hole. That's going to be us. I'm trying to be as graphic as possible so you understand what we're talking about here. Now, anyone that saw it should be traumatized a little bit. If you haven't seen it, most people have the same conclusion as you. That's it. The end. Finished. Guy finished. He lived 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. Done. He's finished. That's it. Little potato bag over there. Finished. Done. Go home. Everybody says, Kaddish. They do for the first year. Finished. And the little potato bag over there. It's done. Not so. The Torah Kedusha says this is when life begins. This is when life begins. This is the moment a person's eyes close. The moment the neshama leaves the body. There's no more doubts. There's no more questions. There's no more safik. There's no more, I'm not so sure. There's no more of that. The moment your neshama leaves the body, the moment the person passes away, they know everything. And they know what they're expecting. So, if you look at the book by Rabbi Yudaftaya, who got his information from different sources, from his Zohar, from his Rabbanim, but also got it from Dibukim. Dibukim is people that were taken over by other neshamot. Regular people like you and I, that had to go to a tikkun, a disaster, where a neshama went inside their body and took control. Why is this neshama here even? 
This neshama is not in Gainom. They didn't have the merit to go to Gainom. It went to a place beforehand called Kafakela. Now Kafakela does not have a 12-month sentence. Kafakela could be for a thousand years. could be forever. could be for five minutes. There's no time frame on it. Kafakela is non-stop punishment. When someone is in Kafakela, they give him all different types of punishment. They have certain malachim that are in charge of beating him or her non-stop. But they give him the hope that he can run away. So he's constantly running away from them. Hey, Yetzirah showed up. We're disconnected from the internet. Probably people complained. So they give him the hope as if he could run away. He's not going to just stay there. But nonetheless, he keeps running and they're behind him. He keeps running and they're behind him. But not behind him. He's like, hey, how are you? Now sometimes they take his neshama or her neshama, depending on who the sinner was, male or female, and they take the neshama and they fling it. Where do they fling it? Into outer space. From one corner of the end of, of the earth, of the galaxy to the other. Back and forth. But throughout that whole journey, they're beating him. Like a slingshot. So when that poor man that dies is in the grave, this is what he has to look forward to. If he's a sinner. Now the first thing that happens after a person dies is these malachim chabala come. These malachim come, these angels come, and they don't know what mercy is. There's no concept of mercy. This is one of the things that we fail to understand. We think mercy like we think of mercy. We think there's mercy in Shemaim like here. To give you a little bit of an understanding, it's just like Hashem is unlimited in the amount He loves you. He's also unlimited in the amount of wrath that He has. There's no concept of limit. The punishment that you can think of in your mind is not even remotely the same of what's actually out there. Because you think of in limited capacity. So some of the things you're going to hear is like, oh, come on, what kind of uh, God is this? It sounds vicious. It sounds horrible. Yes, it is. That's the point. That's the point. It is horrible. It is vicious. So the first thing they do these Hashem is they actually, there's one specific malach that comes to the body and the first thing actually they do is they make the grave deeper. They make the grave deeper. So it's only like I told you, it's one and a quarter meters according to Allah, but they make the grave deeper. Why deeper? Because at that moment, they take the neshama and they put it back in the goof. They put it back into the body. And then they have the body stand up. Why? They want to stand up and feel it full. Why feel it full? Why? Because both the body and the soul sinned. So in the Gemara, there's a debate between Antoninus and Rebbe. Antoninus says to Rebbe, the neshama in the goof, the neshama in the body can get away with sinning. Why? They go up to they go up to Shemaim, to the Bedin of Shemaim. The neshama says, listen, I didn't sin. It was the body that sinned. The body sinned. I didn't sin. Well, I could do something without the body. Look, when I was over here, I was holy. I was doing everything good. I, you put me into the body, I started sinning. I didn't do it. It was the body that sinned. The body says to Shemaim, look, I can't move. Look, as soon as you took the neshama out of me, 
I was fit. I couldn't move. Magolim. Nothing. A piece of meat. Steak. Nothing. So that's what Antonino said to Rebbe. Rebbe says, no. It's different. What's it different? What is it like? It's like there was one time a um, uh, a person that had a uh, gina, had a uh, like a garden. Had a garden. In the garden, he wants somebody to take care of it. So two people that were available, one guy was blind, and the other guy was a neche, was uh, paraplegic. Couldn't move his legs. Said lame legs, didn't work. So they said, said, listen, watch my garden. He knows they're not going to steal. They can't move these two. But these two are thieves. So the guy that's blind said to the guy that's lame, listen, you can't do anything by yourself. But we can do it together. We can do it together. One, I put you, you have eyes. I don't have eyes. I can't see anything. But it smells good here. We have maybe good apples, maybe there's good fruits. Let's take some stuff. How do we do it? I'll put you on my shoulders. I'll put you on my shoulders. And you can see where we're going. And I'll walk. I'll take you where. You tell me where to go. Right, left. And that's what they did. The guy, the Baalabite shows up. Everything is empty. He said, who stole my stuff? And he sees the guy that's blind. I can still, I can't see what's even here. The guy that doesn't have legs says, I can't even walk. Where am I going to go with all the stuff that was stolen? I don't know. Maybe somebody stole it overnight. Not us. So the Baalabite was not a fool. And he says, no, 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 my friends. It was you that did it. You were the only ones that were here. So he put the blind person in one place and he put the lame person on top of him and he beat them up together. He judged them as in one individual. Rabbi says, this is the neshama in the goof. The neshama goes to shamayim. He says, Hashem, I can't sin without the goof. I can't sin without the body. The body says, Hashem, I can't even move without the soul. Hashem says, put them back together and judge them as an individual. No free lunch, my friends. No free lunch. All those people that tried to kill themselves thinking that they, after they kill themselves, their troubles will be over. If they actually know what's going to happen the minute they die, they'll regret the moment they thought about ending their life. Because life actually just begins at that moment. This source of this story is Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, page 91b. Now, after they take the body, first they take the grave, they make it bigger, they put the neshama back into the goof, and then one of these vicious Malachi Chabalah comes, and he says, what caused this person to sin? What led him to all sins? Oh, it all starts with the eyes. He looks at his friend's garden. He looks at his friend's uh, a, uh, um, bank account. He looks at his friend's wife. He looks at his friend's this. He looks at his friend's that. She looks at her friend's this. She looks at her friend's that. What led them to, to sin? The eyes. So one first angel comes. He's responsible for what? Taking him out of his eyes. Breaking his eyes. Breaking his eyes over and over again to make sure this is why you sin. You followed your eyes. Now you understand what it means. Now you understand how much trouble it's going to get you in. Now you guys think, oh, okay, so eyes, not good. Da, da, da. No, no, you don't understand. The, the concept of pain that you understand here, oh Hashem, I'm assuming that most of you never went through major pain. I have a little bit of experience in pain. But whatever pain I experienced, 
a multiple of 60 is not even enough, meaning 60 times. Everything in the Olam Ha'emet is at least 60 times stronger. At least 60 times stronger. The Gemara says, fire here, fire here is at least 60 times stronger. At least 60 times stronger. The, um, the Baal Matok Midvash, Matok Midvash put commentary in recent history, recent, recent generation, just died maybe 10 years ago. Matok Midvash, he told his, uh, his student, he would take his kids, his, his students that were six, seven years old, on a trip, on a trip, annual trip. Where we take him? We take him to the woods, and they'd have a little bonfire. What to put potatoes in? To put some marshmallows? Well, no. I had a bonfire in the woods, and I told these little seven-year-olds, "Say, see this fire? It's hot. Genom is at least sixty times hotter. Don't sin. Genom is at least sixty times hotter." At least 60 times this fire. Don't sin. All the little kids, Baruch Hashem, they have Yirat Shamaim already at 7 years old. So today, we don't even teach 70-year-olds about Yirat Shamaim or Gehenom. In previous generations, 7-year-olds already knew what Gehenom was. Just to give you an understanding of where we stand. This is just one generation away. One generation difference. So, one of the shiurim that's actually in Hebrew, it's a very good shiur, very educated, is by one of his students. By one of his students, and uh, as a matter of fact, anyone that speaks Hebrew should probably watch it. His name is uh, Rav Yitzchak Cohen. Rav Yitzchak Cohen. So anyway, he teaches a lot of Zohar, a lot of Kabbalah stuff, a lot of really interesting things. So now, what's the source for this Kafakela? Is it just a figment of our imagination? Is it just something, maybe you made it up? Maybe this, maybe that, because... Really, some of the stuff we already said in the first few minutes is it's kind of crazy in comparison to a regular Shiur Torah in the world. Now, in Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, it says, V'yusif da'at, yusif mach'ov. The more knowledge you have, the more pain you have. Why the more knowledge, more pain? It's supposed to be knowledge is power. That's the American saying, knowledge is power. No, no, no. In the real world, in Torah world, the more knowledge, the more pain. Why more pain? You realize how far you are from the truth and how much work you have to do to do tshuva. There's no frum anymore. There's no religious anymore. There's ba'alei tshuva. That's it. It's the only thing that's available. Alvai, we become ba'alei tshuva. Alvai. Alvai. Someone leaves this world as a full ba'al, real ba'al tshuva. All these people that think that they're religious because they have hats or beards or this or that, dreaming. I'm telling you from experience. I'm telling you, I see a lot of people. I talk to Hasidim, I talk to secular, atheists, goyim, Jews, whatever. I'm telling you. Alvai, alvai in this generation, you're a real Baal Tshuva. Alvai. Everyone thinks that they're okay, they're even worse shape than they thought. They have a bigger spiritual sickness than they thought. Because they think they're okay. Why? If you're not scared on a daily basis, you're not doing Tshuva. You're not doing Tshuva. So already we have, from Shlomo HaMelech, he told us, you're supposed to be afraid. What are you supposed to be afraid of? First of all, you're supposed to be afraid of the day of death. Because in the book of Samuel, 1, chapter 25, verse 29, it already talks about Kafakela, where David HaMelech's wife, Avigail, tells David, and the soul of your enemies will hurl to Kafakela. May all your enemies, may they all go to Kafakela. So here we have, this is one of many sources 
So you know I'm not making this up. This, there's no special company I have it inside. It's called Kafakela. There's really a place called Kafakela. So, now this Kafakela happens before Geinom. How long is the sentence? According to the Dibukim, that many of the Chachamim, the Mekubalim, the Kabbalists in previous generation and current generation, there's actually a few Mekubalim that talk about this. One specific one, his name is Rav Yosef Shani. Rav Yosef Shani is a very, very big Talmud Chacham, Mekubal in Israel. He is the grandson of Avat Chaim. Anyone that knows, a, uh, knows the, uh, some mystical books, a lot of really good stories, a very, very famous book called Avat Chaim. Avat Chaim was a very big Mekubal a little over 100 years ago or so, maybe more. And uh, he saw some serious things in his life. He saw all types of spirits, ghosts, this, that, Tibukim, and so on. He has a book full of these stories. People coming back from death, people dying, this, all types of really, really interesting things. Scary stuff, though. But nonetheless, this is his grandson. Now, in the previous generation of 150 years ago, some people like this existed, even in a recent 35, 40 years ago. Baba Sali existed, we knew. He was one, there was a few others. There was a few. Now, it's very hard to find, because a lot of people say they're Mekubalim, but in reality, they're just con artists. But now, if you hear someone to Tamit Chacham, you hear, he doesn't have to say much. Five words come out of his mouth. If what comes out of his mouth, you'll know if he's Tamit Chacham or not. You hear his shurim, his genius. Genius. And some of the things that he says, and some of the things that he experiences, and knows, and writes about, Mamash, extraordinary. And he's dealt with Dibukim. He's dealt with people that have been possessed. He's dealt with taking the Neshama, taking your Neshama, putting it somewhere else, and all types of very, very mystical parts we're not going to go over right now. But the point being is that from all of the different people from this generation, previous generation, from the days of the Gemara, from almost 2,000 years ago, all of them, in essence, agree that there's no concept of a limitation of time of how much a punishment is going to be in Kafakela. There's no time. It could be four hours, it could be 4,000 years. One of the Dibukim that uh, Rabbi Yudaftaya writes about in Minchat Yehuda is that he actually dealt with the Dibuk of, uh, with the soul of Shabtai Tzvi, Machshimo Vizicho. One of the false messiahs of a few hundred years ago went into a woman named Rosa. Went into a woman named Rosa and took control and so on and so forth, caused a lot of trouble. But this particular Shabtai Tzvi was a very difficult soul to deal with. But nonetheless, he tells them about a lot of things that he deals with. They burn him, they put him into ashes, they build him back up. Torture. So, this is before Gehenom. This is before. Now, in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 2. Many of those who sleep, this is what the verse says, many of those who sleep in the dusty earth will awaken. These for the everlasting life, and these others for shame, for everlasting abhorrence. So actually, this this particular ver- uh, um, this particular verse from Daniel twelve two, and from here we see we learn 
that the dead people, this is where the Chachamim say the dead people, the bodies in there feel pain. How much pain do they feel? So in the Gemara it says that just like, we actually went over this maybe about six, seven months ago, just like the pain that a body feels when it's alive from a pin, you take a pin, you put it into your finger. Take a pin, put it into your leg. It's painful, right? It says just like a, a body that's alive, that has the neshama and the body in the same place, feels the pain of a pin, the dead body feels the pain of the worm that's eating his body. The maggot that's eating his body. Same pain, even more so. Same thing. Yeah, but you're looking at him, he doesn't have a pulse. Feels it nonetheless. Feels it nonetheless. You can't see it because your eyes are limited because of your brain. But he feels it 100%, even more so. Now, how long is this genome? So a lot of people say, okay, fine, this busha, uh, this, that's 12 months. 12 months is this genome. Now, if you go to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, at the end of the book, chapter 66, verse 24, it says the following, Anashim apushim bi, and the men that rebelled against me, Hashem is talking. Last verse in there. The men that rebelled against me, for their worms won't die. And their fire, meaning Genom, will never be extinguished. So how long is the sentence Genom? Torah says forever. Could be forever. Sometimes less, but it could be forever. That's the seventh level which we'll go over shortly. So anyone that tells you otherwise, give me a verse that contradicts what we're saying, and by Rabbi Hashem, we will change the Torah together. But until you, can, until you can, this is what the Torah says. Now, everyone knows that before the Mashiach comes, Hashem has to send who? Eliyahu Navi. So Eliyahu Navi wrote a book called Tana Deve Eliyahu. The teachings of Eliyahu Navi. When did he? When did he do it? After, after he left the world. After he left the world, Eliyahu Navi taught one of the Chachamim, Rav Anan. Rav Anan was a Tana, and he came to him and he taught him some Torah. And Rav Anan wrote it. It's called Tana Deve Eliyahu, the teachings of Eliyahu Navi. So you know it's a good place. Why? Eliyahu Navi doesn't say maybe, sometimes, I'm not so sure. He goes, he sees. So there's one place where it says the following. Seven things existed before creation. Before Hashem created the world, there were seven other things that were already created. What were they? The Torah. Tshuva. Genom, Gan Eden, Kisea Kavod, which is the throne of glory, the name of the Mashiach, Ben David, and Bet Mikdash. Briefly, Torah was created as we talked about in Masechet Chagiga. Says Torah was created 974 generations before Hashem created the world. He took black fire and he wrote on white fire and he wrote the Torah. This is why Yosifret Torah, regardless of it being already 3,300 years old, we still have the same exact law to use a white background with black ink. You're never going to see a kosher sefer Torah with green ink. You're never going to see a kosher sefer Torah with blue ink, with red ink. Even if it's pretty, even if it's nice, maybe you want to highlight Moshe Rabbeinu's name, not allowed. Why? We're supposed to replicate what Hashem already did 
974 generations ago before 5,778 years. So almost a lot, to be exact. Almost a lot. It's a good exact number. Then he also created tshuva. Why tshuva? Because initially Hashem created the world midat adin, with the with the with his name of judgment. He says if there's no judgment, the world is not going to survive. Why? People are going to do whatever they want, but have to destroy it a week later. But then he said, wait a minute. But if there's only going to be judgment, I'm going to have to destroy it anyway because they are, they're going to make sins. So it's judgment and chesed. But how do we do it? We create the concept of tshuva. They could always do tshuva. I'm going to give every single person a certain amount of time to do tshuva. Some people have 15 years. Some people have 100 years. Some people have 10 years and so on and so forth. No one knows how much time they have. No one knows how much time they have. If they did, they would wait till the last minute. That's why Hashem does not allow anyone to live like they did at the generation of Noah when people lived a thousand years plus sometimes. Next thing is Genom. Next thing is Genom. When was Genom made? When was Genom made? On the second day. On the second day of creation, Hashem Barach did not say Tov. He didn't say good. Every other day when Hashem finished the day, it was evening, it was morning, Yom Rishon, Yom Sheni. But before that it says, and he saw it and it was good. Second day, no good, nothing. Third day, double good. Tov Me'od. So why no good on the, first, on the second day? Because that's when he created Genom. That's when he created Genom. Wasn't happy about creating Genom, but nonetheless it's a very necessary part. Why was the third day Tov Me'od? Because that's when he created Satan. Why? Because those are the things that are going to keep people in check. People will do tshuva when they understand that there's a price to pay for sinning against Hashem. For sinning against our Father in Heaven. He didn't create us because He wants to punish us, but He created us nonetheless to follow His law. And if we don't, there's a price to pay. Just like your kids... If they don't do their homework, if they don't do what Ima and Abba said, they have to have a punishment. If they don't have a punishment, then all you're doing is growing up little Hitlers. That's all you're doing. If you don't punish your kids, then all you're going to have is a little Hitler eventually grow up to a big Hitler. That's what's going to happen. So, is where, we, where do we learn that from? David Melech. David Melech, the son that tried to kill him, uh, uh, Absalom. Why did he try to kill him? Chachamim says he never told him no. You gave him everything he wanted. Eventually he wanted to be a king. He said, no. Oh, what do you mean no? Kill you. So what happened. So the Yawanavi says, Gehenom was created before the world. Gan Eden, following as well. Throne of glory, obviously. In the name of the Mashiach. It's not the Rebbe from Lovavitch. It's not J.C. Penny. It's not anyone that you know. It's someone that's actually right now, there is a Mashiach. There is a Mashiach, both in the world here, and every generation there's some type of Mashiach, but he doesn't know he's Mashiach. There's someone that in essence has the merit that if Hashem brought the Mashiach, he would be it. In a, in a generation of Rebbe, Rabbi Udanasi, all of the Chachamim says, if Hashem, if this is the people who know what happens in, uh, in Shemayim. This is not people, just opinions. Oh, guys, what do you think? Who, who's going to vote for? Well, uh, uh, Trump. No, Hillary. No, uh, no, no, there's no vote. 
All the Chachamim say they understand what's happening in Shemaim. Says if Mashiach came right now, it would be Rebbe. Why? He's the perfect human being. The perfect human being. Gemara actually in Masechet Shabbat says that in a generation of Chizkiyahu, Hashem wanted to bring the Mashiach. He says, you know what? Chizkiyahu made the whole world do tshuva. Look at it. Little babies, three years old, already know all the Mishnah by heart. Today, three years old, we don't know how to read yet. At 30 years old, we still don't know how to read. But look, they know the whole Mishnah by heart. Kamara says, he wants to bring Mashiach. Who's it going to be? Chizkiyahu. Chizkiyahu took a sword, said, whoever doesn't learn to, I'm going to kill him. That's Kiru for you. I'm going to bring a sword next week to see what happens. So Chizkiyahu, Hashem says, I'm going to bring Mashiach. But then Chizkiyahu didn't sing for Hashem after, after a big thing happened. What happens? The Satan comes to Hashem and says, look, he didn't even sing to you like his ancestor, David. If you didn't make David the Mashiach, how are you going to make him Mashiach? Missed it by song. Missed it by, missed it by song. But Chizkiah was such an Ish Kodesh, they buried him with a Sefer Torah. Never again was it happened. Why? They said him and a Sefer Torah, same thing. Same thing. Now, how do we know how do we know? Oh, last thing is uh, Beta Mikdash. Beta Mikdash is Shlishi for all of the people that want to build a Beta Mikdash. You don't need to. It's already prepared and it's already in Shemaim. When Hashem is ready to give us the Beta Mikdash, we don't have to build anything. There's no contractors needed. There's no cement needed. There's no gold needed. Nothing is needed. It's coming down ready. Stop wasting your money trying to build a Beta Mikdash. It's not necessary. You don't need to buy any land. You don't need to worry about the Arabs. You don't need to worry about the Christians. You don't need to worry about nothing. Just survive. Just survive. Just survive. That's all you got to do. Survive. How do we survive? Don't go to Gainom. How do we not go to Gainom? We keep learning the shield. So now, Tana Develiyahu says, How do we know Gainom predated creation? How do we know? You look at Sefer Yeshaya, chapter 30, verse 33. It says for Tifteh. Tifteh is another name for Genom. Tifteh, Genom has seven names. Seven names, I'll go over it in a moment. And seven names. It says for Tifteh had been prepared yesterday. It had been readied even for the king. He, meaning Hashem, has deepened and widened it. Why is he deepened and widened the Genom? So many Rashaim in every generation, he has to make it bigger. Its inferno has much fire and wood, and the breath of Hashem is like a steam of sulfur burning within it. So just so you know, every single human being on earth has a... Thank you, Skelemi Tzvot. Has a... Kaparat Avonot, has a mamash, a suffering that no human on earth can tolerate. What suffering is it? Smelling the smell of sulfur. Unless you've lost your sense of smell, you cannot tolerate the, the smell of sulfur. Why? Why can't you tolerate the smell of sulfur? If you go to Yamamelach, you go to the Dead Sea, certain parts of it smell like sulfur. I remember one time we went there a few years ago, and there's a hotel. In the hotel, they have like a different uh, salt bath, this bath, that bath, and there was one bath that was a sulfur bath. What a stench! Awful! Supposedly, it's supposed to be healthy. But the stench is mamash unbelievable. Why? Why? But it's not just me. Every person. You, me, everybody. Why? Because your neshama knows a secret. What's the secret? 
That's the chemical they use in Shemayim in Geinom. Same smell. In Geinom is sulfur. In Shemayim, no, 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 take me there. Finishes the tshuva. In the Shema, can't tolerate it. So now this is, again, from Tanakh, Yeshayahu 30.33. want to check it, be my guest. This is from Tanakh Devariyahu. And then he says the following. The word Tifteh means Geinom, which was created before the universe was brought into being. When the Holy One blessed his he created Geinom, he praised all of his works. Even Geinom is worthy of God's praise since it indirectly preserves the world because a fear of Gehenom impels the Jews to observe the Torah without the world. Without it, the world would cease to exist. And for it says in another, in another uh, pasuk in the Torah, in Sefer Bereshit, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God saw all that He has made, and behold, it was very good. What is very good? The Midrash says that very good refers actually, very good refers to Genom and, and uh, second day is Satan. Sorry, I mixed the two before. But nonetheless, it's the same exact thing. So now you have yourself another source, Tana Devei Eliyahu. You have a problem, call Eliyahu Navi. Maybe I'll help you out. Now, as we continue, we just realized that this, this Genom, some people made a video about how it's not true. How it's not true. How Genom is a figment of our imagination. It's a figment of our imagination. And someone that I know that's a nice guy and means well, unfortunately is mistaken terribly about this specific issue. Why? Because he looked at the, at the source of the word Genom and he's right about one thing. Where the source of the word Genom is. He's wrong about everything else. Now what's the source of the word Genom? The source of the word Genom is the valley of Ben Hinom. Gay Ben Hinom, which was a person that lived in the times of kings. In the times of kings, a few thousand years ago, three thousand years ago. Now, this was a place where, uh, a place that uh, was called Tophet. This is in uh, Kings 2, chapter 23, verse 10, and it's also mentioned in a few other places. Because they used to, they made up places in, 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 uh, Yerushalayim over there. And they brought human sacrifices. They brought human sacrifices to a statue called Molech. And they took little Jewish babies and kids in Israel. Jews. And they sacrificed them to a statue. But here the difference is, so that's why they pl- they call this place Genom. And they said that this, this what they're doing over here, burning Jews and so on, to statues and so on, is Genom, in essence, is a symbolic of bad. What's the worst thing that we can think of? Genom, hell. So that's the source of the word Genom. But, Genom is not the only name. Genom is not the only name that Gehenom has. If you look at the Zohar Kadosh, you look at a few other places in the Rashid uh, Chokhmah, you're going to find out a few interesting things. First off, it says there is, you go to Rashid Chokhmah. We're going to go to Rashid Chokhmah, so none of you think I'm making this up. I'm just writing notes out of thin air. And not just you guys, I'm referring to anyone that's watching it because I'm sure I'm going to have a bunch of fan mail after this year. 
So in the Gemara, Masechet Shabbat, Daf Lamed Aleph, Amud Bet, 31 Bet. It says that Hashem created the world for the sake of Yirat Shamayim. Hashem created the world for the sake of you fearing Him. He wants you to fear Him. When someone does the opposite, it's better that he wasn't created. Why? Because now Hashem has to punish him. Someone want, didn't create you because he wants to punish you. He created you because he wants to reward you. He wants to give you a reward. He wants you to do mitzvot. But nonetheless, that does not mean that there's a free ride. Like everybody thinks. No free ride just because Hashem loves you. Just because you love your kids it doesn't mean they can do whatever they want. Any normal person understands that. But unlike a parent of flesh and blood that's limited with their feelings, Hashem is not limited. So now, if we look at the books, we go. We look at the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah the prophet, chapter nine, verse six. In so many words here, we, they use the uh, prophet Nehemiah. They say, it's better that everything in the world cease to exist. It's better that all of us cease to exist. Everything cease to exist if there's no Yirat Shemaim. It doesn't mention love Hashem. Doesn't mention loving Hashem. Mention love Hashem is a higher mitzvah. We get there, but nonetheless, basic connection with Hashem is knowing who we're dealing with, knowing you, who you're dealing with. Already, we start with Yirat Shemaim. It says it's better that they was all canceled. All creation was canceled, and there would be no Yirat Shemaim in the world. In Sefer Shmot, in the Book of Exodus, which we just started this week. In a couple of weeks, we're going to get to chapter 20, verse 2. We get the Ten Commandments. It says, It says, I am your God. I am, I am Hashem your God. What does it mean? This is officially the first mitzvah that Hashem Itbar gave, gave to Am Yisrael to know, fear me. Of course they know he's God. He's talking, uh, things are moving. There's, uh, no, no, what's the mitzvah? I'm God. What, well, they don't know he's God. He just killed all the Egyptians. 900 million people in five seconds. They made plagues, made this, made what? They don't know. Fear me. That's the mitzvah. First, first commandment, all of Amisah gets, I'm God. What does it mean I'm God? Fear me. Now, if we move on, See the following. First off, another reason of why Gainom was an appropriate name, aside from the person that was a Rasha Meusha in a place that was of wickedness happened, there's another reason that Rashid Chokhmah says and why it's called Gainom is because it's called Gainom because the screams and growls from Gainom reach from one corner of the world until the end. 
The screams of what's happening over there, very much alive and real. There's no busha. We're not talking about a shame. No one says, oh, you embarrassed me. No one said that yet. The screams of pain and agony reach from where it is until the end of the galaxy, until the end of the universe. That's why it's called Geenom. Why is it called Tafteh? Because the root of the word Tafteh is Pitui. Pitui means to entice. To entice meaning all of, all of the ones that go to Geenom was because of the enticement of the Yetzirah. Yetzirah came and he said, do this, this, and this. They followed Hashem Yerachem, Hashem Yerachem. Only bad things happened. Now, there are several names for Geenom. And it says here in Perek Kishon of Maseret Geenom, Shlosha Shearim Yesh Begeenom, Echad Bayam, Echad Bamidvar, Echad Bayishuv. It says there are three gates to Geenom. One is Bayam, one is in the ocean. One is Bamidbar, one is in the desert, where they put Korach. One is Bayishuv, which is Yerushalayim. How do we know? Where, where do we know it's from? It's in the ocean. The book of Yonah, chapter 2, verse 3. Yonah says, one of the names of Geinom is Sheol. You took me out of there, Hashem. It wasn't just some, uh, some uh, you know, big dolphin or a whale. Mamash Geinom. You took me out of there, Hashem. That's one of the sources. Where do we know it's from Midbar? When do we know it's in the desert? Menayim. Bamidbar. We have uh, Sefer Bamidbar. Numbers. Chapter 39, verse 33. And they all were thrown into there. They all fell into there. Into Sheola. What's Sheola? Sheola, again, Sheol means Geinom. Who are we talking about? Korach ve'adato. The ground opened up, swallowed them up, and they're still there today. Where do we know Be'ishuv? Where do we know that it's in Yerushalayim? Book of Isaiah, chapter 31, verse 9. There's an oven in Yerushalayim. What's your oven in Yerushalayim? Gate of Geinom. So here we see that already things are a little bit different. Have you heard so far anything about Busha? Anything about embarrassment yet? I'm still looking. Now this same Geinom, we learn a lot from Eliyahu and Avi about it. But one of the places it says, Eliyahu and Avi says, some say, some say, there's the openings in the ocean, in the desert, and in the uh, Yerushalayim. And some say it's in Shemaim. What do you mean some say? What do you mean? You, you're Eliyahu Navi, you can go there. If it's one of the Tanaim, if it's Rabbi Akiva, if it's uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, if it's somebody from this generation, if it's somebody who knows or doesn't know, fine, some say, some say. But you're Eliyahu Navi, you are, you're, you're living in Olam HaEmet. What do you mean some say? Some say, the uh, Chachamim explain, there's two Genoms. There's one literally in this world, in this globe. 
in, that's below us. The other one is above the rakia. There's two genomes. There's also two gun edens. There's one here, and there's one above. Some say you're referring to the ones that have the openings here. Yerushalayim, the desert, the ocean. Some say that, but some are referring to the one that's above. So um, that's what he's talking about. Not that there's, there's a two opinions. There's no two opinions in Eliyahu Anavi. He says, depends who you're talking about. The one here or the one there? So now this Genom, Eliyahu Anavi gave Rabbi Yushua ben Levi a tour of Genom. In Gemara Masechet Iruvin, Dafyutet Aleph, 19 A. Rabbi Yushua ben Levi says, there are seven names to Geinom, and these are them. Sheol, Avadon, Ber Shachat, Bor Shaon, Tita Yaven, Tzalmavet, Veretz Tachtit. So you have seven different names, aside from Geinom. The Geinom is the eighth name. Geinom is the eighth name. These are seven names. Where do we know? Where do we get the sources for these? Each one, each one of these names has a verse, at least one, many have more than one, verse in the Torah, of where they get it from. It's not, oh, no, I think it's this, no, I think, there's no opinions. Nothing that I've given you so far is an opinion. Everything has to have a verse in the Torah, this is Emei, this is from Hashem, this is from Mount Sinai. Book of Yonah, chapter 2, verse 2. Teilim, Psalms, Peichet. Uh, 68, chapter uh, uh, chapter 68, uh, Tehilim 68, verse 12. Uh, same place again, Tehilim 55, 20, uh, verse 24. Again, Tehilim 40. Tehilim talks about it a lot. Verse 3, so here already we see that there's countless places in the Torah by David Melech, by Moshe Rabbeinu, and so on and so forth. There's also a Midrash that talks about how when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to, Shem, to Shemaim, Hashem gave him a tour. What did He give him a tour of? He says, Hashem, show me your kavod. What does He mean, show me your kavod? Show me how, why you do what you're doing. Why do you decide to give this guy schar, this guy gets reward, this guy gets punished? Why? He says, I can't show you my face and live. What do you mean face? Hashem doesn't have a face. There's no face. Someone thinks that Hashem has a face, a kofel. It's a heresy. There's no face. So what does it mean? I can't show you what I'm doing right now because you won't understand. I can't show you where you're still in the body. But I can show you my back. What's my back? Things I've already done. So he showed him everything that happened in the past, from creation all the way to then. Noah, the generation of Noah, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Then he showed them the future. He showed Rabbi Akiva. He showed them, uh, you know, our generation, Hashem Menachem. You know, he showed us a lot, a lot of things he showed them. He saw Rabbi Akiva, and he said, Hashem, if you have such a person like this, why are you giving me the Torah? Give it to Rabbi Akiva. He says, no. And then he sees Rabbi Akiva's end. And he sees how the Rashaim, the Romans, peeled his skin, like you peel a potato. And he started crying hysterically. 
this is Torah and this is the Schal, this is Torah, this is a book of Torah, this uh, Rabbi Akiva, and that's the reward he gets. Hashem says, be quiet. You're not allowed to see my face and live. Meaning, you're not going to understand why I explained to you why I'm doing what I'm doing over there. Because you're still here, you're still living in the world. Even though technically, his body was here and his neshama was in Shemaim at this time, nonetheless, he was still living. After this, Hashem Itbarach decided to show Moshe Rabbeinu Gan Eden and Gehenom. When Moshe Rabbeinu got to Gehenom, he said, what is this place? He screamed, what is this place? He saw the screaming, he saw the fires, he saw the different types of fires, he saw the punishments, he saw all types of awful things will go over momentarily. Hashem, what is this? Hashem answered Moshe, this is a place that I made to punish the Reshaim that go against me. Moshe Rabbeinu started shaking hysterically. He didn't know if he's classified as a Rasha. He thought he's going there. He thought, he brought me here because I'm the Rasha. I hit the, uh, the stone instead of, uh, instead of talking to it. I'm a Rasha maybe. He started shaking uncontrollably. Until Hashem says, don't worry, you will never see this place again. You're okay. If Moshe Rabbeinu thought he's a Rasha, what about us tzaddikim? So, we see that the ones that were really tzaddikim were very worried about this place. Very, very worried about this place. Now this Mishnah in Avot, Mishnah in the fourth chapter, 29, it says the following. He used to say, which is referring to the same Tana that talked before, which is Rabbi Lazar Kapal. He used to say, the newborn will die. The dead will live again. The living will be judged in order that they know, teach, and become aware that he is God. He is the fashioner. He is the creator. He is the discerner. He is the judge. He is the witness. He is the plaintiff. He will judge. Blessed is he before whom there is no inequity, no forgetfulness, no favoritism, no acceptance of bribery. For everything is his. Know that everything is according to the reckoning. And let your, your evil inclination not promise you, meaning don't fall for the evil inclination that tells you that the grave will allow you to escape. For against your will you were created, against your will you were born, against your will you live, against your will you will die, and against your will you are destined to give an account before the king who rules over kings. The Holy One blessed is he. Now, the commentaries say this Mishnah has a lot of stuff. They literally say that. This Mishnah includes everything. What's everything? Know that there's reward and punishment. That's everything. Know that there's someone you have to deal with. Briefly, briefly, we usually go into more details in each one, but we're already doing the, the concept of it. The Tana is telling you a few things. The ones that are going to 
the newborn that will die, Chachamim Rabbeinu Yonah is saying, this is, just to know, this whole Mishnah is about doing tshuva. Why? Eventually you're going to die. V'ametim lichyot, the dead will live again. Tiferet Yisrael, Midrash Shmuel, and several others are all saying the same thing, where this is talking about the resurrection of the dead. Eventually we're all going to be resurrected if we're tzadikim. But, if we're not, then it's a different resurrection. What's the resurrection? Eternal genom, eternal punishment. And the living will be judged. Living will be judged, meaning people get punished in this world as well. But nonetheless, after. In order that they know, teach, and become aware of who He is. In essence, Hashem gives you all kaparat avonot in this world, whether it's finding the wrong, wrong coin in your pocket, instead of 10 cents, you found a quarter, or if you lost some money in a stock market, or you have a headache, or you have uh, you know, any uh, flat tire, or any of these easy ones, or difficult ones, like Balminan, some people have cancer, divorces, this, that, lose kids, someone I know, rabbi that I know in Coral Springs, just had a uh, two-week-old baby die, I mean, this is a kaparat avonot, why does Hashem, why does Hashem do all these things? He said, listen, there is a din and cheshbon. There is an accounting that happens in Shemaim. Each one of us has a different account with him. And in essence, the whole purpose of all of these things is to know he's God. That's the point of your life, to know he's God. But to say, okay, I believe in God, but go against him on a regular basis, that means you know the wrong God. Because this God, you can't go against him on a regular basis. Why? Because if you know who he is, you're going to realize there's a din and cheshbon that comes up after that, after this life. He's the fashioner, he's the creator. The Meiri says that he's the one who created you originally and he's also the one that's the Yotzer, that means that he's constantly sustaining creation. He's constantly recreating the world on a regular basis. He's the discerner. What does it mean? This is specifically catered to all of those people that have the excuse, oh, listen, this generation is a weak generation, so Hashem understands. So in Psalm 33, verse 15, it says, meaning Hashem knows every generation. He knows this weak generation. He knows the generation of Moshe Rabbeinu. He knows the generation of after, in between, before, after. Meaning, all of you can do tshuva. All of you can follow Hashem. All of you can do everything. There's no such thing as, no, no, we're weak, so therefore we don't have to do. No such thing. Umevin. Umevin, meaning when he created the world, he knew you're going to come. He knew you're going to come, and he still wrote this Torah. Meaning, if this Torah was not applicable to today, he wouldn't have written the Torah. He wrote a different book. He would have wrote, okay, this stops at year 2017 of the Christians. This stops at 5778 of the Jews. Stops. No more. Why? Because we're weak. So the Torah stops. You don't have to keep Shabbat anymore. You don't have to keep kosher anymore. You don't have to do anything anymore. Why? Too tough. He didn't write that. He wrote the opposite. Umevin. Umevin meaning he created the world with you in mind. No excuses. There's no Moses didn't drive on Shabbat because he didn't have a car. No such thing. He's the judge, he's the witness, he's the plaintiff, meaning don't think that he's going to forget anything. Don't think he doesn't know what he's doing. Don't think that you can fool him. Don't think that you can bribe him. 
Now, many people are saying, wait a minute, what about, you know, what about uh, uh, free choice and so on? If he knows all this stuff, how could it be? So, Baruch Hashem, with your shchut, I had a chidush this week that you can actually find, I told you, you can always find something good in this week's parasha. Which week? This week. Every time this week you find something good, it's relevant to your life at that moment. So this week in Parashat Shemot, you have a chidush. What's the chidush? The secret behind free choice. Secret behind free choice, written in the Torah, it's multiple places. This is one that I found myself that, for me, was a chidush. Maybe you already knew it, but this is what it says. In Sefer Shemot, the book of Shemot, Exodus, uh, chapter 4, Verse 8 and 9. Hashem Yitbar is talking to Moshe Rabbeinu and he's sending him to Egypt to go free Am Yisrael. And Moshe is arguing with Hashem, saying, I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that, what if they don't listen? And they go back and forth. The Chachamim say that, our sages say that they argued for a week. A week back and forth. Moshe didn't want to do it. It's humility. But nonetheless... He says the following, When Moshe Rabbeinu told Hashem, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? I show them, the, I do this, I do this, I do this. I tell them I spoke to you, and they don't believe me. So Hashem Baruch says the following, It shall be that if they do not believe you, if they don't believe you, and they don't heed your voice on the first sign. They'll believe the voice on the latter sign. And it shall be that if they do not believe even those two signs and do not heed your voice, then you shall take from the water of the river and pour it out on the dry land. And the water that you shall take from the river will become blood. And when it's on dry land... So now, what's the secret here? Moshe Rabbeinu is asking Hashem, Hashem, what if they don't believe me? I say I spoke to you. They say, show us proof. You have a recording, it's on YouTube. What do you have? They don't believe me. Hashem says, you're right. Maybe they're not going to believe you. So give them a sign. Okay, what if that sign doesn't work? So give them a second sign. Okay, what if you give them a second sign doesn't work? Give them a third sign. Third sign they're going to work. Which means what? Hashem says, it's very much possible they're not going to believe you. It's very much, it's, it's their free choice to believe you. But, here's the art of free choice. He says, they have three possible outcomes here. Hashem knows what free, there's three possible things they could do. They don't believe you after the first sign. Show them the second sign. They don't believe you after the second sign. That's the second choice. Give them the third sign. After the third sign, they're definitely going to believe you. Meaning that even though Hashem gives you free choice, and he's telling Moshe Rabbeinu, potentially, they're not going to believe you a few times before they finally believe you. He could have easily said, no, no, they're going to believe you for sure. They're going to believe you for sure. After the first sign, they're going to believe you. He didn't say that. He says, you're right. Maybe they're not going to believe you. What does it mean? It says, if they believe you after one, good. If not, they have their free choice. They don't want to believe you. So give him a second sign. If not, give him a third sign. Meaning that even though he gives you free choice, and is multiple outcomes that can happen. And he knows the outcomes and he knows the choices. He doesn't interfere with them. That's free choice, Rabotai. He knows the outcome. He knows the choices. He could have easily told Moshe Rabbeinu, no, no, they're going to believe you after the first sign. Why? I decided that they're going to believe you. 
But he didn't say that. He says, no, no, you're right. Maybe they're going to choose not to believe you. So give them the second sign. What if not? Another choice. Another choice. Each time, another choice. It's multiple outcomes for your free choice. says, Everything is from heaven except the fear of heaven. You have a limited free choice. What's the limited free choice? Whether you're born or not, not your choice. Whether you're tall or short, not your choice. Whether you're rich or poor, as much as we all like to believe, it's not our choice. Most people think that it's their choice to be rich or poor. It's not your choice. Smart, not smart, not your choice. You can try as much as you want. There's plenty of people that study and are still stupid. There's plenty of people that work hard and they're still poor. There's plenty of people that put a ton of makeup on and they're still ugly. There's plenty of people that do a lot of different things and it still doesn't work. Why? It's not your choice. What's your choice? Fear Hashem or not. That's your only choice. Decide whether you're going to follow what He says or not. That's your free choice. So Hashem says, I know what the outcomes of your free choices are, but I'm, not, I'm still not going to interfere with it. That's why if a person, actually, if Hashem interfered with this free choice, He wouldn't have the right to punish us for it. So that's what this Mishnah continues to say. This Mishnah says that he will judge, meaning eventually he's going to judge us. Blessed is he before whom there's no iniquity, meaning he judges fairly. There's no such thing as unfair judgment. And there's no such thing as forgetfulness. There's no favoritism. It doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor, ugly, uh, not uh, pretty, Male, female, young, old, no such thing. This is also another misconception that most people think that everything that you did until the age of 20, they misunderstood probably some rabbi that said it, you don't get punished for. So everything you did until the age of 20, you don't get punished for. That's what most people believe. This is wrong. This is wrong. You can find the sources in Rabbi Yudaftaya, you can find it in Rashid Chuchma, you can find it in the Gemara, and a few other places that I can't remember off the top of my head. That's not what it means. What it means is that all sins that you've made, all sins that you've made until the age of 20, you don't get punished for in this world. All sins until the age of 20, you don't get punished in this world. Anything above the age of 20, you can be punished for them in this world. But everything you've ever done from the time you were a baby, little toddler that said, Goo Goo Gaga, you will have to pay for a reward or a punishment for regardless of what age. That's why there's also children, what we think is children, in Gainom as well. So anyone that thinks that he has a free get-out-of-jail-free card because he's only 21 years old and he's only, in essence, one year of sinning, you're very much removed from reality. You're very much removed from reality. Actually, Rabbi Yudaftai talks about him in Chat Yudah. That one of his um, one of his teachers uh, uh, told him this, and he himself actually gave somebody a zgula to do tshuva for what? When he was seven years old, he was play fighting with his, one of his parents, and he hit him in the face. It was a play. He said you have to do tshuva. You're going to go to gain on for that. He was seven years old. Doesn't make a difference. There's no get-out-of-jail-free card. Why? That's the way the world was created. Hashem created. You have a complaint, go to Him. There's a complaint box. Looks like a garbage pail. So, now, it continues and it says, 
meaning that after we realize there's no such thing as favoritism in Shemayim, after we realize it doesn't matter who your father is, it could be Gdolador, it could be a rabbi, it could be anything. Esav's father was also a rabbi, he was Gdolador, his name was Yitzchak. But the uh, Torah says, the Tanakh says, it's Esav Saneti. There's a pasuk in the Torah that says, Esav Saneti. Hashem says, I hated Esav. Gemara says, what does it mean? No Olam Abba. Gemara Masechet Sanedrin says, Esav has no Olam Abba. Why? He's a Rasha. But his father was Gdolador. His grandfather was even bigger. His brother was Tzadik. What? There's no Olam Abba. Why? He knew the truth, still didn't do it. So there's no favoritism in Shemaim. Doesn't matter who your father is. Doesn't matter who your friends are. Doesn't matter who your uncle is. Doesn't make a difference. Doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, fat, skinny. Makes no difference. Whatever you are, wherever you are, Hashem knows. Ani mevin. He knows. There's no bribery. Meaning that a person cannot think that, no, 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 but I made some mitzvot, so that's fine. Those mitzvot are going to replace my sins. I wasted seed for 20 years of my life. I wasted seed for 20 years of my life. But now I did tshuva. I did tshuva and I keep Shabbat now. And I don't waste seed anymore and I keep Shabbat. That fixes it, right? No. No. Good, you're going to get schar for keeping Shabbat. You're going to get schar for doing tshuva and not wasting seed anymore. But to fix the wasting seed has a different tikkun. Different tikkun. Not doing it is good. Keeping Shabbat is good. But to fix the wasting seed or any other sin has to have a different tikkun. The biggest tikkun for everything is to get other people to stop doing it. Get other people to do tshuva. That's the biggest tikkun. But to say just because you stopped it, therefore it goes away, or just because you made a different mitzvah, therefore everything else before that happens, this is exactly what it says, Velo mikach shochad. You cannot use your current mitzvot as bribery to Hashem. Not bribe. You can't bribe Hashem with your current mitzvot. Mitzvot, you're going to get schar for. Sins, you'll get punished for. So this also is another reality check. Why? Because for a long time, for a long time, and I think probably everybody thinks this, to at least some extent, we thought just because we did tshuva, everything's okay. No, my friends. We still have to do tshuva every day. We still have to do tshuva every single day. Something. Something every day. Take something every day. Every week. Every month. Every year. Every something. You have to do something. That's why I say there's no such thing as frum. There's no such thing as someone's religious. Okay, so you keep some mitzvot. Chazak but you're still making sins. So we have to do it. But, the good news is that Hashem pays well. He even pays the Rashaim. The Gemara Maseret Sanhedrin, page 96a, says that Nebuchadnezzar one time showed honor to Hashem. There was a message that the king, Merodach uh, Baladan, wanted to give to King Cheskiah. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the scribe. And he said, you're giving, you're writing shalom to the king, shalom to Yerushalayim, shalom to their God. Maybe it's not enough, you know, do you believe in their God? So of course they believe in their God. Look, he stopped the sun for Cheskiah in you know, broad daylight. He stopped the sun. So of course I believe their God. Because so why'd you put him last in the letter? Why'd you put him last? Because you're right. Change it. Get the get the deliver. Get the mailman. So Nebuchadnezzar ran out and took four steps to get the mailman and get the mail back and rewrite the letter. That honor, that honor in Shemaim was big. How big? He gave him the ability to be 
the king, the strongest king that's lived until the Mashiach comes, and on top of it, the right to destroy Beth HaMikdash. Now the Gemara says something extraordinary. That after he took the fourth step, he took four steps outside the castle, four. Exactly four we know for sure. How do we know it's only four? Because Malach Gavriel came down from Shemaim and stopped him. And four steps. Why? If he took five, he would have the right to destroy Am Yisrael. Shem So Hashem pays well, even the Rashaim. So how much is he going to pay the kids that he loves so much? So it's not all hopeless. It's not all terrible. It's not just punishment. It's also good. But it's midah keneged midah, Rabotai. It's midah keneged midah. Shakol shelo, everything is his. Even your ability to do mitzvot is his. Meaning that you can do tshuva, but you need his help anyway. Everything is going to be accounted for. The small little conversation you had with someone that's not your wife, but you only said hi and you looked at her a little inappropriately, but she didn't notice. That'll be accounted for in Shammai. Yeah, but you know, it's not, nobody noticed. They noticed in Shemaim. Yeah, but uh, 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 it doesn't make a difference. Everything will be noticed. Everything. Even extra words you spend talking to your own wife. Even extra words. The Gdol in the times of the Gemara, Rabbi Yossi Aglili, one time came into town. He sees a woman named Buya. Who's Buya? The Gdolatado. She was the biggest Rabbanit in the world. Why? Her husband was a Bimir Baranes. Now he was lost. Tzadik. Not uh, looking for anything. He says, which way to lose? Which way to the city of lose? And she says to him, Glili Shote, you drunk. Glili. You're not Gdolado, you're a drunk. Gdolado, you're going to call, remember, Rabbi Vadi, you're going to call him Shote. Rabbi Yashiv, you're going to call him you're going to call him a drunk. How are you going to call him a drunk? For what? He says to her, why Shote? Why? What did I do? He says, didn't you ever hear the Mishnah? Don't increase your words with a woman. So, so what did you want me to say? You should have said, where's lose? You used two extra words. You're drunk. You used two extra words when a woman is not your wife. And the Mishnah was, if it was your wife. Imagine if it's not your wife. You're not, you're drunk. You're taking too much risk. Why? Do you know how much we have to pay for, for this sin? That's why they were so scared of Rabbi They were scared of the payment that we don't even know exists, unfortunately. The Knesset Israel. says that the, the reckoning, the cheshbon, is also referring to the fact of how bad the sin was. Not necessarily if it's Chilul Shabbat, or it's you uh, didn't say bracha before you uh, learned Torah. Didn't say that. It says, how much kavanah you had in your sin? How excited were you to make a sin? How excited you are to go do something against the Shem? says, that, my friends, you pay extra for. You pay extra. So, in essence, we hear... You have people that have arguments. 
says, don't let that argument, that Yetzirah that you have that's telling you, no, nah, it's not real, it's not this, it's not that. Don't let that evil inclination, don't let Yetzirah make you think that you can get away with it. And don't let that Yetzirah let you think that just because you didn't really ask to be born, therefore you can sin. Because the reality is that even though, as the Mishnah says, you were born even without asking. You will die without asking. You will live without asking. At the end of the day, every single person in the hospice center, you told them, listen, you're dying. What do they try to do? They still try to get another breath. They still try to breathe more. They still want more. They still want to pay every single penny to live another second, another moment. Why? Everyone wants to live. The fact that you didn't ask to come is irrelevant. Once you're here, you want to be here. So, the Vilna Gaon gives a phenomenal genius. That's why he's called Gaon. A logic analogy of the commentary on this Mishnah. It says if Reuven builds a big fence around his field, and your fence is, Shimon's field is inside. And Uven builds a fence, three corners, doesn't do a whole four, because you're inside, you don't have to pay him for it. Why? He built it for himself, and you could technically say it's not a full fence. But, if you're going to build the fourth one, if you're going to build the fourth one, then you have to pay him for what he built. Why? Because now, obviously, you want what he built. You want what he built. Similarly, the first three statements that you were created without wanting to, you were born without wanting to, you live without wanting to, you will die without wanting to, all these different things, they're all very nice, they're all very nice reasons of why a man should you know, not have to pay for his sins. They're all very nice reasons of why he shouldn't pay for his sins. But the fact that when someone is told, listen, you have five minutes to live, unless you give me every dollar you have, you have 10 minutes to live, unless you breathe twice for every second. Yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to fight for it. Ah, so now you're here, you want to live? You have to pay for the rest of the fence. You have to pay for the rest of the fence. You like it or not, you want to be here. Everyone tries to take an extra breath, even if they know that living another moment will be pure suffering. I can tell you from my own personal experience, for everyone, anyone who knows my, my personal story, we're not going to go through it at all. But despite the fact that I told you guys that after the first surgery, I was begging my wife and my mom to kill me. I was begging the doctors to kill me. And if there was a plug, I would have pulled it myself. The reality is, I still continue to breathe. Now, even though the next 62 days were massive pain, Massive, horrible, nightmare pain. My own version of Gainom in this world. Obviously, after I read about Gainom, it's nowhere near. It's not even the lowest fire. But nonetheless, it was my own version of Gainom. I still continue to breathe. Why? You still want to live. Now, someone that's on the deathbed, someone that's suffering for seven years, surgery after surgery on a monthly basis, I became an experiment for studies. 
became an experiment. They started experimenting on me. You say, no, we have no idea what's wrong with you. You have things that are not connected to the surgery. You're crying of pain of something that's not even connected to the surgery. We have no idea what's wrong. Let's start experimenting. It's free. Good price. But nonetheless, I continued. Why did I continue? It's suffering. It's painful. Why? Because everyone wants to live. Even the guy that commits suicide. The second he jumps off, he wants to live. The second he jumps off, he realizes it's a mistake. How do I know? People that tried to commit suicide said it. One guy that actually jumped off of the bridge in uh, the Golden Gate in San Francisco. He actually survived. Jumped maybe five, six years ago. He's one of two people that ever survived jumping off the Golden Gate. He said himself, there's a video online of him. Young guy, maybe your age, my age. Young guy, probably younger even. He says, my life was horrible. My life was miserable. I hated it. That, uh, obviously, you hated it. I mean, you weren't exactly happy if you're jumping off a bridge. But the second my feet left the bridge, I regretted it. The second they left, I said, no! The second I left, everything flashed in front of my eyes and I realized it was a mistake. Why? Everyone wants to live. The fact that you want to live, that's the reason why you have to pay the bill for the full fence. Any sin you make, you will have to pay. Now, we haven't gone to the graphic stuff yet. We will shortly. For anyone who doesn't know, this is a shiur about genome, so it's not going to be the pretty nice stuff like we try to. But nonetheless, it's all things that are in the Torah. So far, we've provided sources of where genome is in the Torah. Ultimately, the end of the Mishnah says you, are, you will be destined. Ultimately, this whole thing, this whole point of your life is to know that at the end you will have to pay the bill. You have to give an account. Before who? Before the king who rules over other, all kings. The Holy One blessed is He. In Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8, King David says to Hashem, Where can I go? How can I run away from your spirit in so many words? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my depths to the lowest depths, if I make my bed to the lowest depths, meaning if I go inside Gainom, behold, you're there too. Can't run away from Hashem. That's the point. So, now, the Sfarim HaKtoshim made it a point that we realize that Genome is very much a subject that people need to know about because that is the one way that if a person understands it, even if it's once in their life, they learn about it, they understand it, they can meditate on it, they can think about it at one point or another, especially before a big sin, especially before they make the mistake of their life especially before they go in the wrong direction, if they understand this and believe it, this is the type of information that can keep you away from the Yetzirah. So we'll go over it, some of the stuff that we haven't yet, and Yetzirah Hashem, give you a little bit of a better understanding. Now, in regards to the timing 
of how long a punishment is. As I said before, Kafa Kela, which comes before Gehenom, has no limitations, and neither does Gehenom. Different punishments have different timings. In Igmar Maseret Sanhedrin, page 106a, they say that Doeg and Achitofel both knew an enormous amount of Torah. How much Torah? They were Gedolei Adol. Giants. Giants. They're still in Gehenom. And they're not leaving. It's been a few thousand years now. Where do we get it from? Psalm 55, verse 24. This is one of the names of Gehenom. Is the well of destruction. And you, our Lord, you shall cast them down into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit, which is referring to Doeg and Achitofel, the enemies of David Amelech. They shall not live out half their days. Another one that knew a lot of Torah, Yerovam ben Navat. Yerovam ben Navat, the Gemara Maseret Sanhedrin, page 103a and b, talks about him. How much Torah did he know? This is someone that used to be righteous. Everyone thinks he was wicked from birth. He wasn't. How much Torah did he know? He can give you commentary, commentary, on anything you want in the Torah. Anything. 103 different commentaries. Pick any pasuk. Any pasuk. Any verse. Any gemara. Any mishnah. Anything you want, will give you 103 different understandings. The Vilna Gaon that lived less than 200 years ago, the Chachamim say Hashem only showed us the Vilna Gaon just so we know what someone that was a, that was a Rishon was, which is just a few hundred years before him. What was the Vilna Gaon? The Vilna Gaon was so holy that angels were knocking on his door every single day asking him if he would learn Chavuta with them. So one day, a student sees him crying in prayer, crying. And then at the end of Amidah, he's laughing. Ha ha. says, Kodarav, Lamdeni, teach me. Well, what happened? You're crying the whole prayer. 20 minutes you're crying in Amidah. Not like us, two minutes. 20 minutes he's crying in Amidah. And at the end you're laughing. What happened? He says, listen, every day these malachim, these angels come to me, they knock on the door. Hello, hello, we want to learn Chavuta. I say, no, 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 I don't want to learn Chavuta with you. Why not? I don't get the same schar, I don't get the same reward for learning with angels. I want to learn myself. But yesterday, they sent me these nudnikim, these angels that were like annoying. They wouldn't stop knocking. So I opened it up, I said, okay, what do you want? What can you possibly teach me? They say, pick anything you want in the Torah. He says, yes, three words. He gave him three specific words, I forgot them. I don't have the schut to remember those three words, but nonetheless, three words in the Torah. They gave him 2,400 commentaries on those three words. All of them emit. All of them are true. All of them are true. Now the Vilna Gaon, he held by his own halacha of, he was a machmir on one thing. What was a machmir on? He says, even if you think on Torah, you think Torah, before you think Torah, not just learn Torah, think about it. You wake up in the morning, you want to think Torah, you have to say blessing of the Torah. You can't just think about Torah freely. You have to do a blessing first. We don't have to. We don't hold. That's not Allah. But he was a machmir. If you're going to learn Torah, you have to do bracha. But if you're thinking about it, if it just came to Alvai, that was our sin. Alvai, we, were, we, we forgot to pray. 
uh, for, for learning Torah. But nonetheless, he held it that if you are going to think Torah, even you have to do a bacha. So the next morning after he learned with these angels, immediately he didn't want to forget the 2,400 2400 commentaries on, on three words. So he started going over it immediately when he woke up. But he didn't do the blessing yet. He forgot all of them. They punished him in Shammai and said, you hold by it. It's your own halacha. Your own chumrah. Your own stringency. You didn't do it. Punished. Forgot everything. So during Amidah, he's crying hysterically. He just finished. He just forgot 2,400 commentaries. You know what 2,400 commentaries is? You see this library over here? See the library right next to you on the right side for everybody? Imagine this times probably 50. This times 50. That's how much he forgot. He's crying. I would cry too if I just lost that. One book, I'd cry. He lost. Start crying. Cried so much that at the end of Amidah, he said, okay, okay, fine, fine. We'll give it back to you. Start laughing. So now, Rabotai, Yerovam ben Navat, he was able to give 103 commentaries on anything he wanted in the Torah. Where is he? Genom. Until when? Forever. Why? When Hashem told him, do tshuva. And you'll be walking with me and the son of Ishai, son of Jesse, with me in Ganeden. Initially, it was supposed to be Yerovam before David. But Yerovam didn't get the message. So he said, Hashem, who's walking first in Ganeden with you? The fact that you asked, that means you're not humble enough, that means David's going to walk first. So he said, David's going to walk first. Ben Ishai's going to walk first. He goes, no, no, I don't want, I don't want to do tshuva then. He brought idolatry to Am Yisrael. Hashem says, that's it, finished. How long is Gehenom? Eternal. No breaks. No 12 months. No busha. No, no, no embarrassment. We haven't heard about embarrassment yet. I'm still looking for embarrassment somewhere in the books. If you can find it, please tell me. Now, another sage mentioned the Zohar 167a. Another one, eternal Gehenom. Elisha ben Avuya. Gemara Masechet Chagah, page 15b was supposed to go into eternal Gehenom, but he had a schut. What was his schut? He had Talmud named Rabbi Meir Balanes that fought for him, went into Shemaim and actually fought for him. Unfortunately, I don't have such students. So I have to do tshuva. Elisha ben Avuya almost had eternal Gehenom. So, timing, as far as timing is concerned, there's no 12 months such thing. As a, this is, again, there's no specific timing. Igmar Maseret Brachot, page 18b. Shabbat, page 13b. And Shabbat, page 152a. It says the pain of the worms eating the corpse, the body that's in the grave that everyone thinks doesn't feel anymore. He's dead. He's a little sack of potatoes. Right? No, he's not a sack of potatoes. He feels the same pain as a person that's alive and well, feeling a needle. Same exact pain, just multiplied by 60. Multiplied by 60 because the concept of pain in Shemaim is very different. Here you feel a small part of the soul, mostly body. There it's multiples of the soul. And body. Sources I just gave you. Where's the other source in the Torah itself? Not just Gemara. Book of Job, chapter 14, verse 22. He feels the pain of his flesh and his soul mourns over him. 
In essence, Job, the one that suffers most that we know of in the Torah, he says, he's giving us the source of the fact that even after someone dies, the pain of the flesh, the soul is mourning over it. Why? Because the soul is feeling it. Even though the flesh is, doesn't seem like it's, it's feeling anymore. Now, there's different levels of pain depending on how wicked we were or if we did tshuva or not. If we do tshuva, Be'ezrat Hashem, none of this applies to you. Everything is subject to tshuva, Rabotai. Everything is subject to, to, to tshuva. If you do real tshuva, you stop messing around, you do tshuva, you keep mitzvot, you follow what Hashem says, everything is good. You have nothing to worry about. If you don't, you have everything to worry about. And this is it. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 29. It says, but jealousy brings rotten, rotting of the bones. It says, anyone who is jealous in his, in his heart, jealous of somebody else's money, jealous of somebody else's boyfriend, jealous of somebody else's girlfriend, jealous of somebody else's kids, je- pretty much all of us. Except if you're jealous of Torah, which is a good jealousy. Every other jealousy, he says, not only does the body actually feel pain, but also the bones too. Why they rot in the grave. And the soul feels that too. So it doesn't pay to be jealous. Now the book of Jeremiah, I'm sorry, the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 39 the prophet Jeremiah says, adam What is a person, a living person complaining about? Everything that's happening to him is his own sins. Why? You complain you had a flat tire. You complain you have a headache. You complain you don't have any money. You complain you have bayot and shlom bayit. You complain you have bad kids. You complain this. Why are you complaining? Jeremiah is telling why are you complain? Everything is from you. You did it. You complain that your the bones are gonna rot. You did it. You complain to get home. You did it. Anything complain. You did everything. Don't complain. Or do tshuva. That's in essence the beginning. The beginning of tshuva is understanding that every single thing you're gonna do is you. Olama ba good. Olama ba bad is you. Not me. Not anyone else. It's not your parents. It's not your kids. Not your neighbors. Not your rab. Not it's you. It's you. So that's first thing that you understand. So now. Instead of complaining, he says the next verse, let us search and examine our ways and return, meaning let's do tshuva to Hashem. Instead of complaining, let's do tshuva. Now sometimes people don't understand the simple message that I gave you so far. Sometimes people just don't get it. I tell people, listen, if you are Mechalel Shabbat, if you violate Shabbat, according to the Torah, in 12 places in the five books of Moses, according to the Shulchan Aruch, seven places, according to the Zohar, and also multiple places, I just don't remember all of them off the top of my head, according to every single book that was ever written by any major Chacham before this generation that wrote about Shabbat, every single one of them, if you violate Shabbat, you don't have a small punishment. You have the same punishment as Yehovah. You have the same punishment as the worst sinners that ever existed. Want to drive to Beknesset on Shabbat? You have a serious problem. It's not a temporary problem. 
It's not a sometimes problem. It's an eternal problem, which we'll go over momentarily. I tell people, listen, according to the Torah, Masichet Avodah Zarah, according to the five books of Moses, Zohar, any book you want, that talks real truth, you're not allowed to even benefit from Avodah Zarah. Benefit. Meaning, if you have a little statue, a little statue, somebody worshipped it, a little statue, it's cute, good looking, it's got diamonds on it. Somebody says, listen, you bought it for $25, I'll pay you $25 million. You're saying, I'm going to take this $25 million, $24,900,000, I'm giving to Kiruv Organization, Bezat Hashem. $100,000 for myself, not allowed. What are you allowed to do with Abu Dazara? Destroy it. It's the only thing you're allowed to do with it. But unfortunately, in today's generation, the religious world, unfortunately, sometimes puts it on their head. Why? Because every single one of these wigs that's coming from in the market that's called kosher, we verified. We have people in India. It's not some, I saw a movie. It's not I saw a movie. We have people in India. They checked. They're Indian. They went to the temples themselves. There's no such thing as kosher wigs. It doesn't exist. Which means all wigs, according to statistics, are coming from Abu Dazara. You have a wig on your head, you have a problem. They don't like me. So right now we're trying to go, we're going to New York in a couple of weeks. One rabbi, one rabbi says, no, don't bring him to our synagogue. Don't bring him to our synagogue. Why don't bring him to our synagogue? He's a famous speaker. People do tshuva. Thousands and thousands of people are doing tshuva from some guy that was a mechalev Shabbat a few years ago. Why can't I bring him to our shul? Why not? Oh no, he said something bad about wigs. But is it made up? Did he make it up? Is it his opinion? Doesn't make a difference. My wife wears a wig. That's what he says. My wife wears a wig. Don't bring him to our shul. If it's true, if it's true, it doesn't matter even if a donkey came in here and says, guys, keep Shabbat. Donkey came in and says, keep Shabbat. Verse, anything you want. Says the verse. Doesn't matter if it's a donkey. Doesn't matter if it's me. Point is, I tell people the truth. They don't like it. Like I made it up. So sometimes you tell them the truth. It's not enough. So that's what this shield was for. It's going to give you the outcome of what if it, you don't listen. The Chafetz Chaim, Allah Shalom, he had a special type of vidui. You know, he Chatanu, Avinu, Pashanu. A special vidui for himself. And he would th- talk to himself as a third person, a third person, of what's going to happen when he dies. And this is what he did. Israel Meir. You don't feel good. That was his name, Israel Meir. Israel Meir. You go to bed, sick. Israel Meir. A few days passed. Your sickness is getting worse. Israel Meir. Students and friends are coming to visit you. He's talking to himself. One of his students saw this. People coming to visit you. Say goodbye. But Israel Meir can barely speak. Oh, and now he can't see. Oh, he has to say goodbye to everyone. Oh, it was announced, Israel Meir, that the Rosh Yeshiva, Israel Meir died. And many people are coming to Radin, where he lived, to his funeral. And they're pushing. They're pushing each other at this. And now they bury you, Israel Meir. And they throw you in the grave. And then they leave. 
And they left you alone, Israel Meir. Oh, and now the angels came. Now you have to deal with them. This is a person that didn't leave Torah. This was his vidui. He would start talking about what would happen to him once he's in the grave. We don't have to do it every day like him. We're not chafetz chaim. Just do it once. Maybe it'll help you stop sinning. Maybe it'll help me stop sinning. Psalm 94. First verse. We say this every Wednesday in Shachrit. We also say it every day in Shachrit. It's different places. This is a verse that David Melech writes, the God of vengeance, the God of vengeance appeared. Anyone that thinks that Hashem only loves and doesn't punish, he has a verse in the Torah that says exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. This is just one of many. We've mentioned several so far. The Gemara Maseret Bava Kama, page 50a, says, Rabbi Chanina says, Kol HaOmer HaKadosh Baruch Hu Vatran Yevatru Me'av. Anyone that says that Hashem lets go of things gets an extra special punishment where they actually cut them like a steak pieces in Geinom. Now, before it gets too late, let me get you guys some stuff that, I don't know. It's hard to say, it's hard to do, but nonetheless, it's true. Me too. Me too. In the book, Rishit Chochmah, this is not a uh, some guy. This is not a uh, thought. This is not a, an opinion. This is not a uh, something that um, may be wrong, may be right. This is it. following it said Genom has five different fires the concept of fire here is nothing there's five different fires one fire that eats and drinks. This is spiritual Kabbalistic stuff. We're not going to get into of what each and every single one of them means because then the show will be a hundred hours. Shotav na ochelet drinks but doesn't eat. Ochelet veina shotav. This is in essence the significance power of different parts of the fire. One fire is 60 times. The lowest level is 60 times worse than this world. 60 times worse than this world, the lowest level. Then there's a fire that's able to stop, get in the way of that fire. What's the example? Uh, example of a, uh, literally a fire that could 
make another fire go out. But the highest level of fire is the is the uh, is the fire that I'm sorry, that Esh Ocheret Esh. Esh Ocheret Esh is a fire that literally eats another fire. We learn this from Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu was thrown into the uh, bowl, into the uh, uh, hole over there. It was so horrible that the people that threw him, they went on fire. People that threw him, they went on fire. They died, but nothing happened to him. Why? Because the Malach came to Hashem and said, Hashem, let me save him. I'm the fire. Gavriel was the fire. Because no, no, no. He's one. I'm one. I'm going to go. I'm going to use my fire. What's this fire? Fire that takes out any other fire. Meaning that he was in fire, but the fire of God. Fire that there's no other fire in the world that could even you can remotely imagine. But nonetheless, there's different types of fire. When still not, we haven't gone to the Bushah section. We still haven't gone to the shame section. We're still on fire so far. Two hours into it. Now. There are certain coals in Genom that are the size of mountains. There are certain coals that are the size of hills. Or, uh, yeah, hills. There are certain coals that are literally like the Dead Sea. There are certain coals that are the size of boulders. You know, you go to the beach, there's always like a section of boulders over there. There's some coals that are like, that's the smallest ones. Little baby ones that are still heavier than this room. That's the baby ones. Yes, There are rivers of tar and sulfur. Moshchin verotmim these rivers of sulfur and tar, are in essence lava, are pulling these special coals called retamim. What's retamim? The Gemara Masechet Chagiga says retamim is a certain type of coal that cannot go out. It cannot go out. Can't. Doesn't matter. You can put water on it from here until next year. Cannot go out. Who gets retamim? Just so you know, one of the sins that you can make in the Torah that most of us make when you learn Torah, sometimes you think it's like learning math, history, or science. So you can stop, watch sports, do whatever you want in the middle. says, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, someone that stops in the middle of learning Torah and starts doing something stupid, just talking to, hey, so what's the score? Just like that. Just talk, you know, He's learning Mara, he's learning Tosfor, he's learning Rashi, he's learning something. Hey, what's the score? That's it. Oh, honey, what are we eating today? You're learning. It says they feed that that person. They feed him retamim retamim. They feed him these coals that don't go that don't go out. Why? Why are you dishonoring the Torah like that? So Rav Moshe Feinstein, Allah Shalom, said you should put it in your mind that whenever already when you start learning, you can stop at any moment. You're not you're not going to. Anytime you stop, you meant to stop. Anytime you stop, you meant to stop. Not that you stopped in the middle of learning Torah. And each time you start, you meant to start. Already have it in your mind. In case you make this mistake and you ask your wife what we're cooking today. Which we all do. Because you get hungry. You want to eat. You're human, right? Problem is, you have to decide when to talk and when not. So, it continues. Gzardino shel rasha. Malachei chabalado chafinoto al panav. 
ואחרים מקבלים אותו מהם ודוחפים אותו לפני עור של גיהנום ופוערת פיה או בולעתו שנאמר ישעיה ה'יד הרחיבה שאול נפשה ופערה פיה says what's the uh, what's the uh, din what's the judgment of a rasha of a wicked person that died without doing tshuva what happened to him these malachi chabala these certain types of angels that don't know mercy which we'll go over momentarily they don't know what the concept of mercy you guys are thinking already this is too tough we haven't gotten to the crux of it yet nothing certain type of angel they have no concept of, of, of mercy what do they do they take all the Rashaim as they enter and they push them into this into the lava into the fire into the worst part you can possibly imagine times 60 they push them on their face and then there is ones that are waiting for them in the fire waiting for them in the pit to do the rest of the job They use the verse from Isaiah 5.14 that Gehenom continues, that uh, Gehenom opens its mouth. Opens its mouth meaning it continues to expand as more and more people come. Gemara Masechet Megillah asks, how big is Gehenom? How big is Gan Eden? Gan Eden is 60 times the size of earth. How big is Gehenom? No size. Why? It continues expanding. Continues expanding. Hashem Yerachem. אמר רבי יהושע בן נביא, פעם אחת הייתי מהלך בדרך ומצאני אליהו הנביא זכור לטוב. אמר לי, רצונך שעמידיך על שער גיהנום? אמרתי לו, הן. One time, רבי יהושע בן נביא says, one time I was walking and I saw אליהו הנביא. אליהו הנביא came from עולם האמת, came from the real world, from שמיים, and he came to me. He says, would you want to see what Gehenom looks like? And I said, Yen, yes, I want to see. And now he tells us what he saw. He showed me people that are hanging by their nose. Why? Woman walks around with extra perfume and you're enjoying it. People are putting their nose where it doesn't belong, and so on and so forth. He showed me people that are hung by their arms. Why? You stealing? You stealing? How are you stealing? With your hands. Most of the time, people steal with their hands. Take money that doesn't belong to you. Take a phone that doesn't belong to you. Take uh, anything that doesn't belong to you. He showed me people that are hung by their tongues. See Lashonara? You enjoyed it? Lashonara? Okay, that's the price. Starts. They hang the people by their tongues. Starts. This is how this starts. So they hang them there until the punishment comes. Until the, you know, this is just the punishment until they come to deal with them. Until these specific types of malachi chabala, until the different types of animals or spiritual animals and angels and so on until they come deal with them further they're hanging there like uh, you know like uh, like the uh, what's it called the butcher 
say Lashon Ara, that's how they're going to hang. Ubnei Adam Shetluim Beragleim, people that are hung by their legs. Vayani Nashim Shetluyot Bedaden, he showed me women that are hung by their sex organs. Oh, you wanted to show cleavage, you wanted to show your butt, or you wanted to show this, you wanted to show that? Fine, no problem. They'll show you that too. What do you think? God didn't mind? No problem. Coming soon. Coming soon. People think, no, it's, it's not relevant to this uh, generation. Everyone's not modest. Everyone's not. Look, everybody's naked. In, in, in New York, it's three degrees. They're still naked. It's three degrees. There's, there's much. People are like considering going to like a different planet, but they're still walking around naked. They want to show their body. No problem. In Gainum, they also want to show your body. Why? There's no Yetzara there. Show me people that are hung by their eyes. All those eyes that followed things that didn't belong to them. Other people's wives, other people's husbands, other people's stuff. You looked somewhere else, it doesn't belong. He showed me people where they feed them their own flesh. They cut them. Certain people that were greedy. Certain people that did not want to give what Hashem provided them. Hashem gave them a hundred thousand instead of giving Maaser, they gave a hundred dollars, felt like they were tzaddikim. Hashem gave them some, they wanted more. Hashem made Madoff. Madoff has not just a jail here, he has jail over there also. It's just a little different. All these greedy people that wanted more than one that belongs to them. This is what they do. They make say, oh, you want more? No problem. We'll feed you so much, you'll eat yourself. They take, they cut them up into little pieces. They cut their toes, one little toe at a time, just to make sure. So, you know, you don't eat the whole thing right away. Make sure you, you eat the whole thing one at a time. And then they start feeding him his own toes. Start feeding him his own arms. Start feeding him his own legs. And he cannot die there. He cannot die there. Like you think now, oh, well, the guy loses blood after 20 minutes. He's dead. There's no death there. You're already dead. Like I said, pain times 60. Just the beginning. He showed me people, they take these gechale retamim, these coals of retamim, and they feed them. Why? What would you say things? You said some nice things about the rabbi. You didn't like his lectures. No problem. We'll give you something to chew on. What did you say? Instead of divrei Torah, you want to talk about basketball in the stock market? Bitul Torah? No problem. We'll give you something to chew on while you talk about it. Go ahead. Tell us. Tell us. Oh, what did you do? You want to eat extra? You know, you want to have not sudashlishit. You want to have nine seudot? No problem. No problem. We'll give you something else to eat. We'll give you something else to eat. Depends why you're eating. If you're eating for koach bat Torah, if you're eating to have strength to learn Torah, enjoy Rabbi Lazar ben Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai wrote the Zohar, his son, Rabbi Lazar ben, was a giant. As a little boy, one of the Chachamim says to Rabbi Shimon, your son, it's big. He goes, no, no. My son, I feed him. I feed him that much. Why? Because look at him after he finishes eating, look what he does. He studied for 24 hours straight. All of the power from the steaks and the juices and the this and that, it's all for Torah. It's all for Torah. 
He's not eating because he has uh, he can't stop eating because he wants the steak and the glida and the this and the candy and the this. No, no, no. He's eating for koach of Torah, for strength of Torah. That's mitzvah. You eating for, for that? No problem. You eating for pure desires? You have a problem. And I'm going to give you more to eat. Just taste a little different than gain on. Taste a little different. Reani bnei adam yoshvin chayim v'tolayim ochlim otam. He showed me people that are sitting there and the maggots and worms are eating them. They're sitting there, their faces are blank in other places. It talks about in the Zohar and other places. Their faces are blank and the maggots are coming in and out of their body. They can't move, they can't do anything about it. But they feel it and they're screaming and they're yelling. Because their flesh is being eaten by the second. Where's the verse? Elu shekatuvalem ki tolaatam lo tamut. On them it's written. There, uh, this is from Isaiah that we talked about before. Their worms will never die. Ve'leani bnei adam shemachilim otam chol dak. Ve'ayu machilim otam al korcham v'shenim nishbarot. And he showed me people where they feed them sand, very thin sand, against their own will. V'akadosh Baruch Hu Omer Laem Reshaim, Kshachaltem Agazel Ayamatok Bepichem, V'ata En Bachem Koach Lechol. And the Malachi Asharet, it says Kadosh Baruch Hu, but it really it's referring to Malachi Asharet, the angels of God are pushing this this sand, glass in essence, sand, glass, into their mouth, breaking their teeth, blood everywhere. Same as Hashem Rechem, you would see it in a scary movie here, and they're stuffing their mouth beyond their control and then yelling at them, when you ate things that didn't belong to you, You had enjoyed it. Why don't you enjoy this? It's free. Why don't you enjoy this? Here. Why are you complaining? Why are you complaining? You were enjoying something that wasn't you. What were you enjoying? You ate something? You didn't see bracha? You ate an apple? You forgot to thank God? You ate a chulant on, uh, like your head on Shabbat? You forgot to say Birkat Amazon? To eat, you didn't forget. But the blessed Hashem they gave you, you forgot. Oh, can I have the short version of Birkat Amazon? Can I have the short version? To eat, you didn't have a short version. Three hours you ate like you had. Three hours you ate, you didn't have a short version. But to bless God they gave you, oh, I want a short version to bless them. That's what they're telling them. Where's the Pasuk? Psalm 3, verse 8. Shnei Shibarta. The teeth of the wicked you broke. And he showed me people where they take them from a place of fire to a place of snow. 
like moving cattle. Like moving cattle. And they took him from the fire, and then they took him to the freezing cold. Took him from the fire, and they took him to the freezing cold. There's two two types, two parts of Gainom. Fire, again, and uh, the cold. Even Kafakela we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Kafakela has itself several different sections, just a bedin there, just a bedin. is three floors, and each floor has 6,000 rooms, and each room has 6,000 windows, and each window has a certain section of people, and three judges in each window. And after you finish the judgment on the first floor and you go get punished for it, you have to come back. Why? Second floor. And after you get punished for the second floor, however many years it is, could be five, could be ten, could be five thousand. You have to come back. Why? There's the third floor to deal with. You haven't gone to Gainom yet. Do you understand why it's not worth sinning Rabotai? And then they move them from the fire to the snow. Rabbi Yochanan says, Kol malach malach Every single angel is designated for a person for one of their sins. Angel, you have one sin, one angel. One sin, another angel. One sin, why? You created them. All these angels are your creations. Every single time, the Gemara says, every single time a person makes a sin, he creates an angel. What's the angel? Angel is not only the witness that goes to Shemaim. Yeah, yeah. I'm the one when he ate pig on Tuesday, January 12th. I'm the one. Or I'm the one that he didn't do Birkat Amazon. And I'm the one that did it every single time you do a sin. Come back. Now a guy has a special merit. Why is a special merit? Every time he weighs seed, 150 million show up. He weighs seed, he created 150 million of them. And they're going to come. And what happens? They're not only the witnesses. When a person's neshama leaves his body, they're also the ones that punish him. Now specifically when it comes to wasting seed, these neshamot, the person created, they want to rip him in half. They want to rip him into little pieces. And this is what it says of the following. Ve'olichu. Ve'olichu etzel ha-melech, amar la'im ha-melech. Ma'eselachem. All of these people, all of these debt collectors are coming to the king saying, listen, this guy owes us money. He owes us money. What do we do? King says, what do you want me for me? Go collect your money. And on that moment... His neshama gets thrown into Gainom, and each one of these angels that he created from his sins comes and tears them into pieces. No mercy. There's no concept of mercy in Gainom. The Gemara of Metzia, page 58b, also says in a time in, in a Bereta, says Shlosha Yodim LeGainom VeEnam Olim. There's several different types of people, three different people specifically mentioned in this Bereta, that go into Genom but never come out. Who are they? Abal Eshet Ish. Someone who goes with a married woman. What does it mean he has to have sex with the woman and then he goes to Genom forever? No. 
You want to go dance with a woman that's not your wife? You want to go kiss a woman that's not your wife? You want to do anything with someone that's not your wife? You have a problem. You have to do tshuva. All these idiots that have other people marry, you know, dance with their wives at weddings, or they dance with somebody else's wives at bar mitzvahs, they think it's a mitzvah. Oh, wow, it's unity. It's Am Yisrael. Okay, no problem. Someone who likes to embarrass other people in public. Oh, you want to embarrass the guy in public? You like it? Enjoy it? No problem. Someone who swears in the name of God, for, you know, as a lie. Some people say, I swear, I swear, I swear every five minutes. They think it's a joke mentioning God's name. Someone who likes to take honor as a result of his friend's downfall. We had a whole uh, shiur about this, uh, maybe about a month and a half ago. It mentions it in Proverbs, it mentions it in the Mishnah, it mentions it here, it mentions it in the Zohar, it mentions it in the Torah, it mentions it everywhere. This is literally one of the worst possible things you could do. Take advantage of somebody else's downfall. Celebrate their downfall. Now, just because somebody arrived again, no, does not mean that they are fixed right away. Why? Because they still have the same nature. It says in the Gemara that uh, people that uh, even at the gate of Gehenom, they don't do tshuva. The Hasid Yavitz, which remember I told you, is the one that suffered an extraordinary amount of suffering in his life, but he was one of the G'dolei Adot. In uh, Migaloz, Bet Midot, Masechet Gehenom, his book, uh, Migdal Oz, I'm sorry, Migdal Oz, Bet Midot, Masechet Gehenom Ot Chet, Ot Yud Chet. It says, how does it say that people don't even do don't even do tshuva at the gate of Gehenom? How's it possible? The Yavid says, no, the Reshaim up to the gate they don't do tshuva. Once they go into into Gehenom, everybody does tshuva. Everybody does tshuva inside. But unfortunately, they don't change their nature right away. If there were thieves in this world, there are thieves over there. And it says here, and some of them, take, when they take them from the snow to the fire, and the fire and the snow, they take some of the snow and they put it on their armpits. Why? Hopefully it's going to cool them off when they're in the fire moments later. The angels of Hashem say to them, even in Genom, you're thieves. Even in Genom, you're still thieves. Based on the verse from Job 24, verse 19. Chapter 24, verse 19. In essence, the verse is saying that even in Genom they sin. Even in Genom they sin. You guys had enough or you want more? Zohar Chadash, they give details of each madol. Each one has a different name. The first madol, the first part of Genom is called bull. 
like a hole. What kind of hole? Similar hole, like for example, the tribe uh, threw Yosef Tzadik into a bull, into a hole. A hole that has no water, but has scorpions and snakes. So this is a place where you have all these different types of uh, snakes and types of creatures. The torture of the people. Now who is in control of it? Three are generals of Genom under the leader. Who is the leader? Mitahat Duma. Duma is the name of the leader. And who, what's the name of the three generals there? Their names are Mashchit, Af, Vechema. Mashchit, Af, Vechema. Now, where do we see this in the Torah? In the book of Deuteronomy. Parashat Ekev, chapter 9, verse 19. Moshe Rabbeinu says to Am Yisrael, I was terrified from the face of Af and Chema. Now, Af also literally means wrath, and Chema means blazing. But in reality, he says, I went up there in Shemaim, and I saw the leaders of Genom. And I was petrified of them. This is Moshe Rabbeinu. We're not scared of God. He was scared of them. Do you understand? Difference is, he knows. We're still clueless. So, Zat Hashem, hopefully this helps us become somewhat of a clue. And every other demon, not demon, or any type of ruach uh, or different mashchit, being that is a uh, destroyer over there is under these three leaders that are under this one leader named Duma. And every section is full of Malachi Chabalah, it's full of these destroying uh, angels. Vekulam marishim genom venishma kulam lerakia. Because in all of those suffering in those in the in this particular section, we're just talking about the first, the lowest, the best one, the best case scenario. Their their screaming is heard from one end of the world until the, the heavens. And what are they saying? Oi, oi, but there's no mercy. There's no, no one that's merciful. There's no concept of mercy over there. Who gets this? People that go against Tamidi Chachamim. How? What? They make websites against them? No, we're not even talking about that. Someone who just doesn't give enough respect to his rabbi. That's it. We're not even talking, specifically because we're not even talking about someone who makes websites against rabbis, or videos against rabbis, or talks bad about rabbis. No, that's a completely different chamber. That's the fourth one. Three levels up. Three levels up. Or down. Whichever one you want to do. Madol Shini. The second one, Nikra Shachat. The name of it is Shachat. V'hi Here it has green fire. 
I don't know what that means, green fire, but apparently over there there's something called green fire. It says, just so you know, over here, there's no such thing as mercy. Meaning, if you, there was some type of mercy in the first one, where the screams go from one side to the end of the earth, here, nothing. There's no mercy at all. If there was anything at all in the first one, this one for sure doesn't have. Nothing. Who goes there? Someone who embarrasses another person and tells people, don't learn from him. He says scary stuff. He has shiurim about genom. He has shiurim about wasting seed, about mechalel shabbat, about wigs that are not kosher. He says things that are not Torah, but he's scary. Don't learn from him. Says someone who knowingly lets another person fail in certain alakha and sin. And he's happy. Why he's happy? Oh, see, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, but you could have told him. You knew that he's not allowed to do this. You, could, you knew that he was about to do it. You still let him sin. What is it relevant to? All of these fake care bear rabbis that let people drive on Shabbat to Beknesset, this is their section. It's one of them. It's one of their section. Now just so you know, someone that goes to one section doesn't mean that they finish the section they go to Gan Eden. They have to keep going up. If someone goes to the sixth, they finish the sixth, however long it is, they have to go to the fifth. They finish the fifth, they have to go to the fourth, they have to go up. You don't just finish, oh, you go to the sixth, okay, you got the worst one, but you finish now. No, no, no. Five, four, three. Just like you counted the money you stole in this life. You have to count and gain them too. Someone who likes to celebrate other people's failure. Someone who knows that another person is going to make a sin, but doesn't tell him, doesn't rebuke him, doesn't tell him the truth. Hey, by the way, you know you're not allowed to drive on Shabbat. Hey, by the way, you know you're not allowed to eat there, it's not kosher. Hey, by the way, you know you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to, no, you know, you're not allowed to do it. Doesn't tell him. No, no, let him find out on his own. He'll find, Hashem will tell him, Hashem will tell him. Hashem will tell him. All those people will say, Hashem will tell him. Okay, no problem, we have a section for you. Department. Compartment lies right over here. Here's a section for the people who say Hashem is going to tell him. Hey, he's telling you now. Now all those that think, oh no, this is just for people that died 70 years old without doing tshuva. No, Rabbi There was a baby, not literally a baby, but someone that's a young kid, someone that's even under bar mitzvah age. They used to ask his uh, rabbi questions knowing that he doesn't know the answer. Just to... Bust his chops. He liked it. He liked it. He liked, he, liked, he, liked, he liked asking his rabbi. No, he doesn't know. He didn't go to another rabbi. And this rabbi doesn't know anything about science. You know, not every rabbi is an expert in science. Not every rabbi is an expert in Al-Achat Shabbat. Not everybody is an expert in everything. He knew this. Still a kid. He's not an idiot. He's a kid. He knew. But still, look, look, he doesn't know. Look, the teacher doesn't know. So we don't have to do it. The teacher doesn't know. We don't have to do it. Ah, okay. He has also a special place. He also has a special place. But he's less than 20. Yes, he's called baby too. 
in there. It's called baby. Amador Shlishi. Oh, and what happened to this uh, baby, this young kid? They judged him for seven days where they bathed him with something. And there's no concept of this in the world, but... They bathe them body body parts, and in essence, every day they add another body part. You get the point. Duma. The third chamber is called Duma. All those arrogant people, all those people that are proud of uh, whatever they are, whatever they think they are. They got a special section. Especially if they do it in the name of Torah. You know, all those people that said, oh, you know how much Gemara I read? You know how much Torah I read? You know how tzaddik I am? You know how tzaddik I am? You know, I, I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I, you know I me, mean? that whole chip, I know the whole thing. The whole, I know the whole thing. Those guys, you have a special level. Special. Who else? Someone likes to lend other Jews and charge interest. No, no, but it's stariska. It's stariska. People have this like loophole. They think they found a loophole to lend other Jews with interest. This is the biggest lie in the business world. As I told you, the biggest lie in Judaism today is the Whigs. That's the biggest lie in Judaism today. Why? Because people think there's a concept of kosher wig. There's no such thing. Why? We did a research. No. Biggest line Jewish business. What's biggest line Jewish business? That is something called the Shtari Skan. You're allowed to charge other Jews interest as long as you like let them know. And it's like really like, you know, we're a partnership really, but it's not a partnership. The way to do a Shtari Skan is very, very, very difficult. Why? Because if I lend you money, or you lend me money more likely, now that means that if I take the money and I invest it somewhere else, I take the money and I waste it, Regardless of what I do with it, I still have to give you the money plus whatever profit you want. That's a loan. What's a kosher stariska? A kosher stariska means that part of the money is lent with zero interest and part of the money is invested. What is it? What's the difference between invested and lent? Invested means that if I lose it, you lose it. So if you lent me, let's say, $100,000, and you say, listen, we have a deal, you have to give me $125,000. Now, 50,000 out of the 100,000, 50,000 out of the 100,000, it's, it's a loan with no interest, meaning regardless of what I do with the money, I got to give you back the 50,000. The other 50,000, if my deal works out, I have to give you 50,000 plus 25. That means I have to give you a total of 125. But if my deal goes to nothing, goes collapse, I give you nothing. Why? You invested it. That's stariska. That's star, That's a kosher stariska. Nobody's doing that. What are they doing? I give you a hundred, whether you like it or you don't like it, you give me a hundred twenty-five back. That's a loan, my friend. The fact that you wrote a little piece of paper and you write on it, they're gonna burn you with the paper. With the paper, they're gonna burn you again. Which which chamber, if you ask? Third one. Third one. Huh? Okay. So banks in general, banks in general are owned by shareholders, and not all the shareholders are Jewish. So that's one of the leniencies that you have when you're dealing with non-Jews. But I can tell you in general, many of the big rabbis or the extra tzaddikim do not take loans even from a bank for a house. Like Rabbi Ephraim, for example, refuses to take a loan even for a house. 
even for a house. Why? He says, maybe all of the shareholders of this bank are Jewish. I don't know them. I'm not taking the risk. Why? You go to the third chamber of hell. Who wants to go to the third chamber of hell? Take loans and give loans. Both. Business is open on Shabbat has a serious problem if it's owned only by Jews. If it's only owned by Jews. If it's owned by Goyim, there are certain leniencies that you have, but the reality is that the Jew cannot benefit. The Jew cannot benefit out of any work that's made on Shabbat. Any work whatsoever. So if, let's say, for example, you have a partnership, one Jew and one Goy are own, own a business. And they decide, okay, the business is going to be open on Shabbat, but the Goy is going to run it. Fine, that sounds great. But if the Jew collects even a single penny from the Shabbat business, he's violating Shabbat. doesn't matter that he's not working. He's violating Shabbat, meaning that every single penny made on Shabbat has to go to the Goy. He cannot benefit out of work on Shabbat. So all those businesses that are creating their own alachot, we have the next part for them. What's the next part? Someone who decides to create a new law. What's the new law? No, this is shtariska, but it's like with a twist. It's a business partnership, but with a twist. You create a new law out of nothing. You just you're just making a joke out of the system. Third chamber, third chamber, huh? Eruv, it's different. It's not business. No, eruv in general is first of all eruv is rabbinical, whereas lending is the oraita. So anytime you have a rabbinical, there's more leniency. Whereas the uh, anytime you have a uh, something that's uh, biblical, there's loneliness. You go you go to the stringent side. So that's one major thing that's a big difference between eruv and and, and, and lending. Second thing is is that as far as eruv, really the the biggest leniencies go for the Ashkenazi side. Whereas many of the Sephardi don't hold by the eruv, they don't hold by the eruv. Not all Sephardis hold by the eruv, and the reason why is because to make a Sephardi eruv is impossible. Why? It literally has to be a wall. It has to be literally a wall, which you can't do in today's world. I mean, there's maybe one place, I think, in the world, in, in, uh, in, uh, in Israel, that has it in a small little area. But in, in general, there is no such thing as a Sephardic roof anymore. There's only Ashkenazi. But most Sephardics hold by the Ashkenazi side also. Most Sephardics hold by the Ashkenazi. Why? Because even the Ashkenazi roof, the whole concept, has certain things that you can rely on because... Whether you have to rely on 600,000 people crossing the particular street. In essence, the Chachamim say, many of them say there's really no such thing as Yeruv anymore. You can't do it anymore. Not in today's world. Therefore, it's not, some, it's not a mitzvah you can fulfill. That's what many of the Chachamim that are Sephardic still rely on, that you can actually use it. Use the Shashkenazi side. And then using a credit card is a problem? No, it's owned by shareholders. owned by non-Jews. It's owned by different people. If if no, not non-Jew, you're allowed to do whatever you want with a Jew. Lending money or borrowing money from Jews is the problem. Both the borrower and the lender get a uh, punished for it. Let's continue because we're already getting late. So people that create their own alachot, like for example, this Rasha Merusha uh, wrote a uh, wrote an article about two weeks ago. And uh, he calls himself a Orthodox rabbi, a modern Orthodox rabbi. He's more, he's closer to to, to, to J.C. Penny than he is to a modern Orthodox rabbi or any rabbi at all. But anyway, he said in this article that you're allowed to go eat at any vegan restaurant, regardless of whether it has a kosher stamp or not. Why? Because there's no need for for any kosher. If you can't see the bugs, then there's no problem. In essence, he just created a new law in Torah. 
he created a new law in Torah, he wrote a whole article about it, and people actually think that you can go to any vegetable restaurant as long as you're just eating the vegetables of the goyim, everything's okay, and that's absolutely not true. Now, why is it not true? Because if you eat non-kosher meat, it's a single sin. If you eat non-kosher vegetables, meaning what non-kosher vegetables? There's a bug on it. There's a little fly. Why? Because the goyim are not obligated to clean the flies. They're not obligated to clean the worms. They're not obligated to clean anything. Not obligated to clean anything. Well, if you eat a worm, you can't really, uh, you can't sue the place. It's not intentionally putting the worm there. It's not intentionally putting the uh, thing. Anyway, there's no specific law against it. And even if there was, it's not against their religion. So, point being is that if you go to a non-kosher place, you're guaranteed to eat one of these uh, one of these bugs. And a sin of eating meat that's not kosher is a single sin. A sin of eating a bug is five sins. Meaning you're better off eating non-kosher meat than a bug. It's five sins. And this imbecile wrote an article saying, no, no, it's okay, you can go to vegan restaurants. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter if it's kosher or not. So this is exactly where he's going. Just so you know, in case he was, if he watches this shiul, and he's wondering, where am I going in the future? Ganeden genom? Oh, it's madosh lishi. It's the third part. Someone that likes to make fun of somebody that forgot their Torah. Especially an older person. Somebody that likes to make fun of those people. He has a place in Genom called Madosh Lishi, the Nikra Duma. That's called Duma. And the Zohar Kadosh in Parashat Truma says that there are spiritual chayot. There are spiritual chayot, spiritual animals but they're literally the size of planets in some cases, that are sent to this specific madol, to this specific third madol, to this duma. Why? What do they do over there? They dine on the sinners. They eat the sinners piece by piece. They eat them piece by piece. There's nothing that they can do about it. Because the soul cannot die there, but they suffer tremendously. Madorevi, the fourth Madol, fourth chamber called Tita Yavin. Sham Nidunim Otam Gaseh Ruach Vikotam Aonim Aizut Lanim Amidukaim. Stoes, there's a special place where people that like to make fun of poor people. Somebody poor came to you, Tzaka, Tzaka, go get a job. Go get a job. I work hard for my money. Oh, you like that? Okay, you have a place. Fourth one. There's a special place. It's chamber, nice villa waiting for you over there. Like making fun of, uh, of of poor people. Just so you know, Hashem loves poor people. Why? The reason why all the other people go to Gan Eden is usually because of the poor people. Why? You gave him tzedakah. He specifically created poor people so the rest of us can go to Gan Eden giving them tzedakah. So now, instead of doing that, you made fun of them. Go get a job. Go get a job. Especially people make fun of Avrahim don't have any money. They come, they collect money for their kids. They collect money for the... Why are you making fun of them? You don't want to give. Don't give. Whatever. You're, you're, you know, whatever. You have a problem in your mind. But to make fun of them? Make fun of somebody that's poor? Like it's his fault? It doesn't matter if he's a Jew or not. It doesn't make a difference. Not to make fun of anybody. Oh, this is a special type of person. This is a person that sees someone's in desperate need. See someone that is in need, has no money, isn't desperate, he just lost all of his money, he has no money for the rent, he has no money for the mortgage, he's skin. Guy's poor guy, you know he's a miskin. But you're not willing to lend the money until he does you a little favor. 
I'll give you the money, but you got to do my lawn for the next three months. I'll do you a favor, but you got to tutor my kids. I'll do you, I'll lend you the money, but you, uh, you got to say hello to me. Every time I come to the, to, to the synagogue, you have to stand up. I'll lend you the money, but you have to ask nicely. Call me on Monday. Call me on Monday and ask me nicely again. I want to hear it. I like to hear it. I ask you, you know what? Why don't you ask me in front of the guys? Ask me, ask me. No, 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 ask me. Go. I want to see it. I want to see it. Ask me. I say, hey, well, you want to do that? You want an extra kavod? No problem. You have a special place. You have a special place. Who else? Someone who wastes seed. Accidental. What's accidental? You looked at inappropriate things during the day. Gemara Masechet Abu says you end up bringing Genom to yourself at night. You ended up wasting seed from your dreams. You ended up dreaming. This is not on purpose. That's a different level. It's a different level. This is, this is Taj Mahal next to it. You did it on accidental. Why? Because it's not accidental. You looked where your eyes don't belong. You looked at every woman that walks. You wasted seed at night. Now you have a special place. Who else? Someone, oh, there's some people, they, they, sometimes they call themselves religious. They say, you know what? You're not allowed to go and be with a woman, a Jewish woman, without being married. Because then she can't go and go to mikveh. You don't allow a woman that's not married to go to mikveh. And if you go on Nida, Shemir Achem, what kind of Gehenom is she going to have? And you're going to have. He says, no, fine. It's okay to go with the non-Jew. Some people have this thought that Jews are allowed to go with non-Jews as long as they're not married. As long as they're not married to the non-Jew, you're allowed. It's like they call practice. I actually heard a Talmud Yeshiva tell me, my Rav told me, yeah, the goima for practice. Hashem irachem. Hashem irachem. Hashem irachem. That rabbi, they made him a special section for himself. What they say? If you go with the nida or you go with the goya, you go with the kutit, you have a special place. Where? Madorevi. Madorevi, there's no such thing. No such thing. Now, Zohar Kadosh, Zohar Kadosh, Hashem Yerachem Aleinu, Zohar Kadosh says, there's a special angel, special angel, named Orei, Orei, Orei Yom, that is, has a special mission in this Mador. What does he do? All those people that get upset, they get angry, and they lose their mind, and they start cursing even themselves. Or they, stop, they start swearing, I swear I'm not going to do this anymore. Ah, I don't start losing their mind, start saying even things against themselves, because they lost their cool, they lost their speech, they lost everything. He says, oh, he has a special mission to deal with them. Where? In this specific Mado. But that's not, that's not the part I was saying, Hashem Yachem. What was I saying, Hashem Yachem? There's a special snake called Karaton. Karaton is the one that was also created in creation, similar to Leviathan. Leviathan, which we're going to eat when the Mashiach comes, this is the bad version. Karaton is the one that eats people, or eats their flesh and their skin and all types of horrible, awful things, in this Peshifel Madol, fourth one. Fifth one. We're almost uh, at the end. Madok Hamishi Nikra Sheol. The fifth one is called Sheol. Bisham Nidonim Muslim Vapikosi Vakufrim Batora Vakufrim Betriatamitim. All of those people 
that are apikos, people that go against the Torah, people that are heretics, people that are even heretics against one simple thing. They believe everything. They keep Shabbat, they keep, they keep, they keep everything. But I don't believe resurrection of the dead. Oh, you have a special place. Where? Fifth level. Fifth level. Where else? Zohar Kadosh says, all of those homosexuals, all of those that uh, hurt their breed, this is their place. Right next to Titus. Why? Because a special punishment that happens in this one is they burn them into little ashes and then put them back together again and again and again until no end. Why? Look what you did. Look what you did. All of those people have Shem what kind of awful punishment. Sixth one. Madoa Shishi Tzalmavit. That's the name is Tzalmavit. V'sham nidonim kol otam shachvu im imotam venida. This is a people that had incest or went with a nida. Oh, you couldn't wait until your wife went to the mikveh? You thought it was a good idea? No problem. We got just got worse. But also, you have to understand, as Zohar says, that even kissing, even kissing a woman that doesn't belong to you, kissing, we're not talking about intimacy, we're not talking about uh, kissing, she's not your wife? What, she, she's your friend? You want to be friendly? Oh, because today, all the Europeans, they kiss each other on both cheeks? No problem. They have a section two. Women that dress immodestly. They always asked, what about uh, what about immodesty? I haven't mentioned it yet. Yeah, because they're in the worst one. Why are they in the worst one? You dress in extra tight clothes? You want everybody to see what your body looks like even when you're not wearing clothes? You want everybody to see what you look like? You want everybody to look at you? You want attention? You want attention like a little baby, like my 10-month-old? 10, 10 no problem. You have the sixth level. You'll get a lot of attention there. Tons of attention. Tons of attention. And I also heard the Mekubal Rav Shani. He said, this is where the wigs go. This is where the wigs go. This is the section for them. This is the section for them. You have a problem, call him. He'll answer you. He's still alive, Baal Hashem. He's one of the Mekubalim of this generation. And there's a Maaseh, there's a Ben Ishchai. There's a Ben Ishchai, Masalit Nefsho. He took his soul out of his body. He took his soul out of his body and he saw what happens in Genom. He writes in his book. And he met two people. Both of them were decreed to go to the sixth Madol, to the sixth level of Genom. One of them was a thief who robbed people in the woods. He robbed people in the woods. He put a gun or a knife to their head or whatever it was at that time. And he took everything and left them for dead. The other one was a womanizer. What kind of womanizer? He wrote a book. He wrote a book about sex. He wrote a book about, you know, intimacy. He thought he was Romeo. Thought he was cute. So both of them got the same genome, sixth level. And the Ben Ishchai says, every so often there would be a malach, they would, after these people are suffering, they would tell them how much time is left. Why? Because the one that was a robber got decreed 400 years. 400 years in the sixth level of genome. 
He got decreed 400 years, Rabotai, just in the sixth level. After when he met him, an angel came to him and says, 300 years have passed, you have 100 left. So the second one that wrote the book said, well, what about me? What about me? How much time do I have left? So the Malach says, we have no knowledge of how much time you have left. Why not? What do you mean you don't have any knowledge? Because you're still making sins. What do you mean I died? I'm here. The book is still out there. People are still reading it. You made a picture, you put it on the internet because you look cute in a bathing suit. And they have it on Facebook. And they have it on WhatsApp. And they have it everywhere. He thought it was cute for you to have a bathing suit picture. He thought it was cute on the ocean. He thought it was cute on the boat. It was cute. People are watching it. You have a problem. Why? You're continuing to make sins. That's why any kosher woman literally has to delete every single picture she has on the internet. Every single one with no exceptions. Not even a headshot she should have. Unless it's for a shiduch, no one should have a picture of you. Why? Sick minds. Sick minds. Guys will do anything to, to pervert their mind. And a woman needs to understand that. Guys don't think like women. Women see a guy, they think about personality. Guys see a woman, they see cattle. That's the reality, women. That's the reality. No exceptions. Unless it's a ben Torah, that's a real kosher person. With Yilat Shamayim, he doesn't even look at women. It's a different story. Overall, aside from that, no except, there's no such thing as platonic relationships. You can have a friend that's a male, you can have a friend that's a female, but you're just friends. There's no such thing, Rabotai. There's no such thing. Why? The guy's mind is only a matter of time before he thinks inappropriately. We talked about this further in last week's show, so I'm not going to expand. Now here, the Ben Ishchai says, this is where we, I uh, also learned what the Rambam said in Ilchot Tshuva. There are 24 things that make Tshuva very difficult. Very difficult is an understatement. Why? When someone is a Mahdiya Rabin. When someone causes other people to sin because of a book they wrote, a movie they made, a picture they have, a speech they made, whatever, something that's causing other people to sin, very difficult to do tshuva. Why? You have to figure out how to undo it. You have to figure out a way how to undo it. You had a picture of yourself somewhere. You have to literally work really hard to delete it. Why? Because it's not just one website that has it. You wrote a book, you have to make sure you literally buy every single book out there. Which, by the way, that's what, uh, from what I hear, but Rav Uri Zohar, of Uri Zohar, Shichye, is one of the greatest Kiruv rabbis in this past generation. But before that, he was a Machtir Rabim. He was making awful, horrendous movies in Israel. Awful, horrendous movies, full of immodesty, but he was at the peak of his career. They literally invited him to Hollywood. And that's when he did Shuvah before he went there, Baruch Hashem. But after he realized what he has done, and the consequences for it, he took the money that he had and he started buying all the movies on the market. So he could destroy all of them. Because he knew that every single time somebody watches one of his old movies, he's going to get punished for it. So it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's not just a, oh, I do tshuva, I keep Shabbat, I eat kosher and everything's okay. Tshuva is a lifetime thing. Madol Shvi, seventh one. Seventh one, 
תחתית ארץ, אז תנאים עובד. היורד לשם שוב אינו עולה. Someone who goes there does not go back up. It's permanent. שנאמר ועשותם רשעים. מלאכי 3.21. ובזוהר פרשת תרומה, זוהר פרשת תרומה, in um, 1.52. I'm sorry, uh, page B. אמר שיש מקום בגיהנום והוא נקרא צוהר או תחת. There's a place in Gehenom and it's called Boiling Feces. ובו נידונים כל אותם שחטאו והחטיאו את הרבים. And there, those that sinned and caused other people to sin. One example we have in Agmar Masechet Gitin is J.C. Penny. J.C. Penny is there. Onkelos in the Gemara, it says Onkelos, the Ger Tzedek that all of our commentary on the Tanakh comes from, did a, before he converted, he did a seance and he brought J.C. Penny up along with Bil'am and Titus. All of them are in the seventh level of Gainom. But nonetheless, that's exactly what J.C. Penny said, described as where he is. He's in his Tzawatachat. Why? Not only did he go against the rabbis, but he caused other people to leave Judaism. So all of those Christians that pray to them every single day, they should understand that their leader, their idol, their everything is sitting there in boiling feces. Who else goes there? Amotzi'im zera levatala lechatchila. Souls that waste seed on purpose. They think it's healthy, like the psychiatrists that are idiots today tell you it's healthy, which by the way, there's scientific research. Scientific research. This is not my opinion. Scientific research I could send you. that shows that when you waste seed, it not only hurts your body in general, it hurts your vision, it hurts your bone structure, it hurts your brain, it hurts multiple type parts of your body. And I can tell you from experience, not that I'm anything special, but apparently in the last few years, since I spoke a lot about wasting seed and did some lectures on it, I ended up getting a lot of people to call me, you know, religious, non-religious, Jews, non-Jews, to ask me questions about it. And I mentioned a lot of people, I did a lot of research on it, And in so many words, I can, at this point, it's almost at a point where I can look at you and tell you if you could wasting seed or not. There's certain young kids that I see in Batik Nesiyot, and I know who's, who's sick and who's not. Who's sick and who's not. Their skin structure is different. Their behavior is different. It's just, it's, unfortunately, it's an addiction. You could overcome it, but it's very difficult. But unfortunately, no one's going to overcome it if no one tells them it's wrong. How wrong is it? It's the worst sin in Judaism. It goes to the part of Gehenom where if you do it on a regular basis, as if it's a good thing, as if it's, you're enjoying it, as if whatever, it's not, it's not accidental on a dream. You're doing it on purpose, b'mezid. You're doing it, Shem Yachem, seventh level of Gehenom. Who else? Who else? Mishichilel Shabbat b'faresia. Someone who... drives on Shabbat, smokes cigarettes on Shabbat, violates Shabbat on a regular basis. Not accidental. If it's accidental, you forgot, you didn't know, it's one thing. But if you violate Shabbat because it's not for you, or you need to work because you need money, because Hashem doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any money. So you have to work extra to help Him out. And you want to work on Shabbat, or you want to go to a restaurant on Shabbat, or you want to go to Atlantic City on Shabbat, Or you want to go to Vegas on Shabbat. No, I'm not making, I'm not using money. I'm just playing with chips. It's chips, Rabbi. It's chips. It's plastic. Oh, it's plastic, so just throw it in the garbage then. It's plastic. 
If it's plastic, throw it in the garbage. People make all types of excuses, all types of excuses and different types of things. No, they're allowed this, they're allowed this. There's no such thing. Where are you supposed to be on Shabbat? With your family or Beknesset? That's it. No casinos, no vacations, no nothing. You're supposed to be with your family on Shabbat. You're supposed to be in a kosher place. Not supposed to be in all these different places. Number one, you're not allowed in a casino anyway. Not allowed in a casino anyway. Why? Because there's a lot of chilul Hashem. There's a lot of immodesty there. You're not allowed to be in such places. Unfortunately, today's world, no one talks about these things. But if you look at the books, it says no. Now, someone that's a Mechalel Shabbat on a regular basis, and not accidental, this is the one of the three worst possible sins in all of Judaism to such an extent that, as you can see, all of the worst things that we talked about, whether it's people that were hung by their eyes, by their nose, by their arms, by their legs, or they were eaten by worms, or they were being fed themselves, or they were being fed the sand, or they were being taking spears of, of, of metal and going through their sex organs, or they were taking their body, body parts and, and throwing it in, in, in fire, and you're still feeling it. All of that is child's play next to this person at the Mechal Shabbat. It's Ganedin for the Mechal Shabbat, for the wasting seed. All of those things I said till now that make all of you want to vomit, it's Ganedin next to the seventh level. Do you understand what a Mechalel Shabbat is? Do you understand why we say it in every lecture, even though all everybody here, Baruch Hashem, keep Shabbat? Hopefully. They have a special place also. They're in a sixth level, some of them in a seventh level, depending on which one, how, how bad, who, what, when, and how. Yeah, they have also a special place also. They have a special place, but those such people usually don't get the merit of going to Genom. They usually get stuck in Kafakela. Why Kafakela? Because people that usually are immodest or they're rapists and so on, they also do things, they're also homosexual. Now homosexuals, before they ever have, they have to have some serious, serious merits in Torah to even get the merit of going to the sixth level of Genom. Why? Because they have to get somehow out of Kafakela. Now, Kafakela for the homosexuals, first they have to go through certain type of suffering for there. But that's for just a single action. If they've done it many, many times, it's many, many things. Now, there's also the concept of Gilgulim. They have to reincarnate. Now, the Zohar, Kadosh, and some of the other holy books say that there's several different types of Gilgulim. We're not going to go through all of them. Obviously, just a few simple ones you should know. For all of those imbeciles that say that uh, the you know being intimate with a non-Jew is for practice, you should know that if you're intimate with a non-Jew and you have not done tshuva, your kafakela before you actually get to suffer kafakela and genom and so on, first you have to come back as a dog. First you have to come back as a dog. Now anyone that's a homosexual, they think it's nice, they want to be proud of themselves. They have to come back as rabbits, rabbits, hares, camels, those types of animals. And the women that like to show their stuff to the world, because that's the, that's the thing today. Before they get to the sixth level or the seventh level of Genom, they have to go through a Gilgul also. It was what? Cats. Now, I know a lot of people don't like the stuff, and they don't believe it. That's your problem. It's not mine, Baruch Hashem. So, point is, this is all from the books. You want verses, I can give you verses. But nonetheless, the, uh, the people that 
the people that make sins need to understand is that there's no free lunch. Not for small sins, not for big sins, nothing. No free lunch. Now it goes into special angels. Special angels, there's actually the names of each one of these angels, of what they do and how they do it and who they punish and what they're in charge of. But I'll go through it in five minutes. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because obviously it's going to take a lot of time and it's late. And I think you guys got the point by now. Hopefully all of you understand that it's just simply not worth it to sin. That's the point of this entire shield. It's simply not worth it to go against Hashem. The way that you're supposed to run your life is, okay, what does Hashem want? Okay, that's what I'll do. What does Hashem want? That's what I'll do. Honey, what do you want to do? What does Hashem want? That's what I'll do. Honey, what do you want to do? What does Hashem want? That's what I'll do. How do I dress? What does Hashem want? Modest? Okay, I'll be modest. What does Hashem want? Be kosher business? Kosher business. That's the way the kosher mind works. Why? That's how you avoid genome. That's the only way. The only way. Because even then, you're still going to make mess-ups here and there. But at the very least, if you're not going to make as many, it's going to be tshuva. You're going to have enough time to do tshuva for the mistakes you're making. But if you don't stop making mistakes, there's no hope for you. So, this is some of the angels and what they do. By the way, the angel that Shobeinav the one that breaks the eyes in the grave, his name is Sarsur. That's his job. Usually it's not good to say names, so, but for the sake of this show, so you know I'm not just telling you that there's some names that I'm making up off the top of my head. So those that are immodest, Immodest in their clothing, immodest in their behavior. The guys that want a different girlfriend every other day. The guys that cheat on their wives. The women that cheat on their husbands. The women that are promiscuous. All of those people that think that being immodest is just a part of life. You know, you have 15 boyfriends before you got married. You have 20 husbands before you got married. All those people that think it's okay. Why? I'm only 25. I only have 15 boyfriends. What's the big deal? Oh, no, no. I don't want my daughter to get married. She's only 30. She's only 25. I don't want her to get married. She's too young. All these idiot fathers that don't want their kids to get married, they want them to date someone for a while. So you should know there's special things for them. What do they do to them? They take these people, and since there's no enjoyment whatsoever in Gainom, and there's obviously no Yetzirah in Gainom, but they force them to make the same sins even in Gainom, but with pain. With pain. Those that uh, uh, were neuf and znut, all types of immodesty, all types of uh, uh, inappropriate actions, promiscuity, and so on, they literally make them make the same sins against their will in Gehenom. And there's the name of the angel here that puts them into that, uh, puts them to do it. Shemirachem. If you see some of the visuals of some of this stuff, I mean, there's no pictures here, but I know. Um, There's also special types of snakes and scorpions that eat the soul. Not just the body, the soul. Whatever that means. All of those people that like to curse, because that's how we talk in New York, and I used to talk in the stock market. The 
כל דברי נבלות או דבר פגום שיוציא האדם בשפתיו ושומרים אותה, וכאשר האדם מוציא מפיו דברי קדושה כמו דברי תורה או תפילה, אז מטמאים אותם הדברים הקדושים בטומאה היא, שהוציא מפיו קודם לכן. ואז כביכול תשש כוח הקדושה, ואז אוי לא, אוי לנפשו של החוטא ההוא. A person that curses from the same mouth that he prays, a person that curses from the same mouth that he learns Torah, says, Oy lo and oy l'nafsho. Woe to him and woe to his soul of what they do to him for violating his mouth that way. That same pure mouth that said divrit Torah, that said the name of Hashem, you like to say the F word, you like to call your wife certain names, you like to call your friends certain names, you think it's cute, you think it's funny, you want to be a truck driver, you want to be a football player. Okay, you have a certain place. There's a certain angel designated for them too. Um, I'm not going to tell you the names anymore, though. Just so you know, when it talks about that every time somebody is angry, it's considered Avodah Zarah, they actually explain it here in Rashid Chochmah. It means as if you literally brought a korban, you literally brought a korban to the Satan. You took korban, you brought the Satan. Why? You got manger, you threw out the remote, you threw the phone across the room because your wife forgot to buy you tomatoes. Your wife, uh, you know, can't quite the kids. Your wife did this, you are this. You got mad. You did something. You expressed your anger inappropriately. Being upset is one thing. Expressing it in certain ways is something completely different. It's considered as if, as if somebody literally brought a kuban to the Satan himself. And just for all of those people that still are not convinced of the sin of wasting seed, they should know that their particular section is called a shikhvat zera rotachat. They swim, instead of swimming in boiling feces, they swim in boiling semen. Boiling semen. And all of those people that make sex crimes, whether it's molesters or prostitutes, all of that, they have a special angel designated for them to burn them in the semen and all of the disgusting stuff that they produced. They have them while they rip them into multiple pieces. Okay, I've said it. I think we're almost done, but that's what it is. Thank you. Which one did I want? I think it was this one. Even his camera's clear. So all of those, the ones that you asked about, the ones that have all these sex crimes, the ones that violate little boys, little girls, big boys, big girls, animals, family, friends, workers, all of them, they have a special place in the seventh level of Genom and they'll never come out. They have a special section called Zera Rotachat. Zeh Otachar is literally boiling semen. Whatever that is, Hashem Yerachem, Hashem Yerachem, if it's the seventh level. This is, again, on top of all the other things we talked about. It's not just this. Meaning, each level is all the other ones before it too. Each level is all the other ones. It's not like, oh, okay, you know what, I ran out to pool. Sounds like fun. It's not, how bad could it be? It gets worse. We're almost done.
Chilul Hashem also, seventh level. Sorry, I think we said it, didn't we? That's the third third uh, thing. If someone, I mean, the, their punishment just begins at dying. Now also, one of the horrible things is the, for those that were jealous, for those that, um, one of the, you know, different details of punishment, the bones inside, you know, are on fire, the person's on fire, so in essence, the flesh looks as if it's okay, but in reality, they're on fire inside, they're like a, literally an oven. There's a special angel in charge of killing children and suffocating them. I mean, it's, Literally, it's just, it's just, you read some of this stuff, you're like, this, and now I understand what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. What is this place? I mean, they're, they're putting all types of knives and, and, and all types of cutting up, and it's awful. It's just awful. I mean, I tell you, I mean, I'm not even telling you all this stuff. I'm telling you a lot, Baruch Hashem, and may Hashem, Bezat Hashem, wake us up. Wake us up, because I can tell you from, just for myself, I don't know, I was studying this stuff, I was crying. I don't know. I mean, if, if, if this doesn't wake a person up, just check your pulse. You're probably already dead. Maybe you're one of the Malachim Maybe you're one of these angels that kill people. I don't know. Like I asked the same question. I asked the same question. This is not a just a, uh, a nobody. This is Gavirliyahu de Vidas. You know, Gavirliyahu de Vidas was the student of the Arizal. Okay, and also the student of Rabbi Moshe Ben Yaakov Cordovero. These are the two biggest Kabbalists in the last pretty much ever since Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. This is their Talmud. This is not some guy that no one heard of. It's not like somebody says, nah, nah, we don't follow him. Nah, nah, we don't hold by him. There's no such thing. It's no different than saying Vilna Gaon. It's no different. Somebody said one time, listen, you say, you say Moshe Rabbeinu, to me it's the same thing. Why? I don't have the idea of how great this one is, just like I don't have an idea of how great that one is. But either way, you know they're both great. Same here. This is almost 500 years ago this book is written. One of the books that I'm telling you over here. Rabotai, it's not a joke. I'll finish off with a few small things over here that I don't think we covered, so might as well, instead of having another shiur, I think we pretty much covered. Oh, and just so you know, the... Um, for all those guys that uh, um, think that a Gilgul, that reincarnation is like, ah, oh, you know what, I'll come back as a dog. I'll come back as a cat. I'll come back as a bunny. Sounds cute. You should know that the suffering of, of having a neshama inside a dog, inside a cat, inside a camel, inside a plant, inside a rock, inside a wall, inside anything but a human being is worse than genom. What is it like? The Chachamim give an analogy. In Or Yakal Mishpatim, says that, imagine there was a person that traveled with his, all of his merchandise. He had a lot of merchandise. He put his whole everything on the line. He's bought merchandise. And he traveled for two years. Two years he's traveling, carrying this thing on his back. Hashem Elohim, what kind of suffering that is, carrying this thing on his back for two years to get to a destination point. He finally gets to the destination point after two years. They sell him, oh, what'd you bring this garbage for? Here it's worth zero. Here, everything you carried on your back for two years, 70 years, 100 years, 120 years, here it's worth zero. That's a Gilgul. 
That's the suffering. Why? Because now he has to go back all the way to where he was, another two years, and if he wants to make any money, another two years. Do you understand? So this is a Gilgul. This is a reincarnation. It's suffering above suffering. Because you saw, you thought you had it right. You got to Shemayim and said, no, you have to do it all over again. What do you mean? Okay, so I'll do it as a Jew. No, no, you can't do it as a Jew. You have to do it as a bunny now. You have to do it as a dog. That's how these that's how these creatures are part of the tikkun. But the problem is that you don't always necessarily have an easy tikkun. Why? Sometimes a person can come back as a rock. Sometimes a person has to come back as a rock. The Ben Ishchai tells the story that one day arrested him. He prayed to Hashem and he said, Hashem, why did you bring me here? And then he had a dream. He had a dream and they told him in Shemaim, you came here, the whole thing of you being arrested was because there's a few souls inside the wall of your cell. The only way they could do a tikkun is by listening to your Torah. Listening to your Torah. Listening. Why? Because they didn't want to go to Shure Torah. They wanted to learn, uh, you know, whenever they felt like it. So, being a Gilgul, it's not, it's not fun in games. It's not a fun thing. It's not a, oh yeah, it sounds like fun. I'll be a dog. My dog has a good life. That's what I used to say. I used to look at my dog. I had my dog 16 years. Greatest life ever. I thought, wow, what a life this guy has. Now I know, I read these things, I'm like, Shem Achim, what kind of suffering they have. Because the soul doesn't feel like a dog. The soul is the soul of a human being. It knows it's a human being, but the dog is a dog. And Rav Shani actually has, uh, has uh, talked to a few, and a few Shurim talks about these Gilgulim and all of these things where he saw it in his own eyes. He saw it in his own eyes where his father showed, look, this, this cat is the soul of the neighbor that died just a little while ago. And I'm going to help him and so on and so forth. And you see strange things. Nonetheless, this stuff is real. Nonetheless, this stuff is painful. It's just not worth it to sin, Rabotai. It's not worth it to sin. We'll finish off with a couple of small things and then hopefully try to finish it with a something to cheer you up. So, as I said, Rabotai uh, Davidas. Telling us three gates to gain Nome, the ocean, the desert, the land, Yerushalayim, is five different types of fires. We covered this already. Ravadia uh, Bartanura. Ravadi Bartanura says that in regards to the punishment, depending on a level of punishment, some get punished with the klal, with many, and some are so awful they get a private punishment. And even the Ramban, the Ramban, Nachmanides, in his uh, commentary on the book of Job, he says that the biggest suffering we've seen in the Torah is the life of Job. And even the biggest suffering of Job, the worst type of suffering that he had, even if you had that suffering for 70 years, has no comparison to the suffering of a soul for a single hour in the lowest level of Gainom. The best part, even the worst type of suffering for 70 years is still not the same level as an hour over there. And the Vilna Gaon says the Ramban was actually understating it. It's actually worse than that. It's actually worse than that. 
a handful of things that cause people to go to Gehenom on an easy basis. Mamash, like people just destroying their lives without even realizing they're doing something wrong. Being prideful, talking to women that are not your wife, being a jokester, making fun of things, being, you know, one of these funny guys that likes to make a joke. In the middle of a shiur Torah, when everyone's in the process of doing tshuva, he wants to throw a shiur and, you know, make things fun. I used to have one of the couple of these talmidim, I throw them out. A different shiur in Boca Raton, they used to make fun, I told them not to come anymore. Why? Everybody was doing tshuva for two hours, then one of these idiots ruins the shiur with his joke. People that curse a lot, people that kiss up. People that like to kiss up to people because they have money, because of certain things, they want a job, it's not a good thing to do. Uh, what keeps the fire of Gehenom continuing, the heat of Gehenom is created by new sins in this world. It's created by every sin that's made in this world is in essence like the heat of, it's making the heat of Gehenom higher. But the fire, where does the fire come from? The fire in the Gemara Masechet Chagigah says the fire comes literally from the angels themselves. The angels themselves that work for that work for serve Hashem, they go in Shemaim. You actually read this. As a matter of fact, you read this every every night, unless you uh, if you pray in the minyan. But if you pray by yourself, you read this. There's a bereta. There's a bereta that you read. That um, a very famous bereta from Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva Amar Chaya Achat Omer Barakia Ushma Yisrael Barakua Mitzray Yisrael Omer Beemtza Rakia Vomeret Baruchu Hashem Mevorach Vechokdu Demaala Onim Omerim Baruch Hashem Mevorach Lolam Vaid. So Rabbi Akiva says there's a Chaya, there's a special angel that Hashem made that his name it's Israel and it's imprinted on its forehead Israel and it stands in the middle of the heavens, middle of the sky, this giant thing, and it says to everyone. Bless Hashem. Bless Hashem. Bless His name. And all of the other angels said, Bless is Hashem. That's His job. Now all of these chayot, they get close to Hashem. They literally, they sweat. What do they sweat? They sweat fire. Where does the fire go? It goes to Gehenom. That's where it goes. So the heat up of the Gehenom is from sins, but the fire itself comes from the angels. Now, every time a person says says a uh, Kaddish, every time people say, no, you should do Kaddish on someone. You should do Kaddish on someone. It's helpful, but only helpful to a certain extent. Only helpful to a certain extent. Now, the Pele Yoetz, uh, says that if you're contemplating whether you should do Kaddish for someone or not, you should do it. Why? Because this person that died is like screaming to you like a dog. Please do Kaddish for me. Any type of help would be good. Doesn't, it doesn't take a person from the seventh level to the sixth level or anything, but it helps. Anything would be good. Any A moment, five minutes of less suffering is good. Sure, that's even more so. That's even more so. That's every second you're learning as Torah is, 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 a, uh, is uh, amazing. So we'll finish off with this, Rabotai. The Gemara Masechet Tamid, Eliyahu Navi says the Genom is in the Rakia, but some say it's beyond the darkness. This, in essence, is referring to there's two types of Genom. Now, 
the Jewish Gehenom is much worse than the Goyim Gehenom. And the reason why is because our benefit, our uh, uh, reward is much greater than the Goyim as well. Source for that is Bereshit Rabbah 93.10. Now, Rabotai, there is a uh, Bereta from Rabbi Shimon ben Lazar. And he says the following. Oy lanu miyom adin. Oy lanu miyom atochecha. Woe to us from the day of judgment. Woe to us from the day of punishment. Because even Bil'am, the wisest among all of the Goim, he was a prophet. He couldn't accept a simple rebuke from his donkey. But even us, the tribes, the twelve tribes, weren't able to face Yosef at Sadiq when he told them, I am Yosef. As it's written, They couldn't answer him because they were scared. What does it mean they were scared? They all died from shame. This is the only part of the, of the, of the whole history that talks about shame. But the Chachamim say, this is not about rebuke of a rabbi. This is not the rebuke of some book. This is a rebuke of a Kadosh Baruch Hu when we go up to Shamaim. And he himself will come to you. And he himself will tell you. Why'd you do it? Why'd you go against me? As it's written in the book of Psalms. Psalm 50 verse 21. These have you done. And I kept silent. You thought that I was like you. What does it mean you thought I was like you? You thought just because I'm not punishing you, I agree that you're violating Shabbat. Just because I'm not punishing you, I agree with your actions. You thought I was just like you, I was a sinner like you. But I will now punish you and lay clearly before your eyes. Meaning I'll show you every single sin right before I punish you. And then the next verse, Rabotai says this. Understand this now. This is what the, this is what the verse itself says. Understand this now. You who have forgotten God, lest I tear you into pieces and there be none of you to rescue. This is Teilim, Rabotai. This is not some Midrash. This is not mystical. This is literal. If you haven't read it, Baruch Hashem, it's time you have. That's the point of this year. Now, Hashem Himself is telling us He's telling us it's not a joke. He's telling us it's not a game. He's telling us you sinned and you thought that it was okay because I didn't punish you. You drove on Shabbat, you went to this, you did this, you did this, and you thought it was okay. It's not okay. No, now. Now, no. Tshuva, today. Every day, right now, everybody go home. Everybody watches the shiur today, tomorrow, next year, next month, wherever it is. You do tshuva today. Today you do tshuva. Don't wait till tomorrow. Today already go chatanu, abinu, pashanu. Today you do tshuva. Why? Because if you don't, there may be nothing to save. Now, last chidush to give you a concept of how important tshuva is. Hashem is supernatural. You and me are natural. Death is natural. It's a natural event for all of us. Everyone that's lived died. Everyone that's alive will die. Resurrection of the dead is supernatural. 
supernatural. In a Torah, someone that's righteous is considered alive. Someone that's wicked is considered dead even while they're alive in this world. They're still considered dead in the eyes of Hashem. Chidush is, Rabotai, when you do tshuva as a human being, the only way you can do tshuva is stick to Hashem. And when you do tshuva, in essence, you're doing something that's supernatural. And the reason why it's supernatural is because you're literally reviving your soul. We were dead as sinners and we're alive as Baalei Tshuva. I don't care about your past, neither does God. a zillion and a half of the Lord, but the point I'm trying to tell you is that no one cares about yesterday. Today, you do Tshuva. Doesn't matter who your father is, your mother is, your neighbor is, your rabbi is, your dish, it doesn't make a difference. Today you do tshuva. Whatever it is that you're doing wrong, whatever it is that you're doing that's not in the Torah, that's not good, today you do tshuva. I know it's hard. Everyone knows it's hard. But you got to do it anyway. Why? Consequences are too dear. But the beauty is that when you do tshuva, you're a superhero. Because you're literally doing something supernatural. You're bringing something that's dead and making it alive again. So it's a supernatural action by a natural person who made a decision to put the supernatural, to put Hashem in charge. To put Hashem in control. You're resurrecting yourself. Tshuva is good for you. No one gains more than you. And like Rabbi Yisraeli Salant, Allah Shalom and Shutot again Alenu said, even if it was simply avoiding the fire of Gehenom, and that was the reward itself and nothing else, it's still worth it to do tshuva. Because the punishment is dear. So Be'ezrat Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, will have mercy on us and open our hearts to do tshuva, to overcome Ayetzarah, to overcome all of the evil inclinations that we have, and realize and visualize and understand how horrible it is to go against Him. Because once you open up the door and you start